the mega power. Explode! Here at WrestleMania 5. So listeners, it's been a while, but thank you for hanging around, and welcome to WrestleMania 5. First, I'd like to put over the YouTube channel. As this is released, we have the main event simulcast there, where Peter Winston's dropped by from Allentown, Pennsylvania, or North Shore, Massachusetts, to break down the main event with the 24-inch podcast, guys. And his greetings from Allentown partner, Keithy Langston, hooks up with Justin Rosario, and they break down the Rockers versus the Twin Towers. Well, that's YouTube. But while you're on YouTube, check out all the great contact, including WrestleMania Countdown, daily shorts with Justin and I breaking down all 402 WrestleMania matches. I'd like to thank all 21 contributors here on Cronoso, giving blood, sweat, and tears to make WrestleMania 5 possible. All right, guys, enough with my plugs, enough with my rambling. On with the show. Take it over, Mike Rossi. What do we got going on to start WrestleMania 5? What's going on, North-South Connection? This is Mike Rossi with the first match of WrestleMania Five, where we have Hercules against King Haku. Now, they, they cut to the beginning of this broadcast, right? And they say, let's get the ringside. And the Fink announces Rockin' Robin to sing the national, I'm sorry, to sing America the Beautiful. She was so bad. Like, she was, like, pausing between words just it looked like the first time she ever sang it, it actually reminded me of like this chick's at a bar and she her edibles kick in and right before she sings karaoke that's what this sounded like it sounded like she had no history singing it was just it was abysmal and then as soon as she's done ventura says well i hope she doesn't quit her day job that was a pretty cute line so now we cut to the ring entrances and king haku's our first he comes out to the longtime Jerry Lawler theme song. I don't know if that was his actual theme or if that's just what they redubbed it because he was the king. But anyways, he ends up with Haku. Now, Haku's getting carried to the ring on the throne. Stands up a few times. The guys that are carrying him look like they're struggling big time. Uh, but I love that old school shtick, kind of like when they used to come to the ring at the Rumble and, and WrestleMania and like that ring on wheels or whatever. I always love that shit. I wish there was more of that today. Um, now, when they get into the ring, Heenan has this, like, sparkly purple sport coat on with a equally as obnoxious purple shirt under it. He grabs the mic, and he says, it would be pretty appropriate for everyone here, everyone at home, everyone in the closed circuit locations watching this, to get up and show their proper respect and bow to the king of the World Wrestling Federation, King Haku. Pretty good heat here. You know, crowd probably just hates Heenan. I don't even know if Haku was that that really over as a heel at all. Um, you know, it was an opener. You know, back then the openers mean a lot less than they do now, right? Now, Hercules came out to this trumpet theme. Gorilla says, wait till you hear this ovation. 
And then Hercules steps through the curtain and there's very little reaction. So um, Gorilla keeps touting that it's a great reaction, but it was not. Um, so then Hercules gets in the ring, starts swinging the chain like a goddamn lunatic, um, clears the ring of Haku and Heenan. Then the bell rings. Haku's still outside the ring, which is interesting. And Hercules has like this really dumbass decision to then start walking in the corner towards Heenan, which then allows Haku to sneak into the ring and attack Hercules from behind. Now, Haku starts working on chops in the corner, throws an Irish whip into the other corner with punches and kicks. Uh, then Hercules is able to reverse an additional Irish whip into a hip toss. Then he hits a body slam, another Irish whip, and then a front face drop before he clotheslines Haku to the outside. Heenan yells encouragement to Haku, but then Hercules scoops him back in with a suplex and very, very stiff elbow drops right to Haku's head. Like, he was just potatoing these guys across his face. Hercules is then able to jump out of the ring for some reason unbeknownst to me and very slowly chases Heenan. Like, there's no urgency at all. Haku then jumps out of the ring and very slowly follows Hercules around the ring until Hercules drops his guard, turns around, and, and Haku decks him with a clothesline. Haku starts working him on the outside a little bit and then ends up rolling Hercules back into the ring. Maintains control and he hits a very stiff backbreaker. Immediately followed by a very shitty backbreaker that almost completely missed his knee. But he still covered Hercules and there was a quick kick out there. Haku then, you know, laid in a bear hug, which they sat in for about a minute or 90 seconds or so. Hercules eventually powers out of it. Now, at this point, I noticed Donald Trump smiling with approval from the front row. He's surrounded by multiple people in suits, none of which really want to look like they want to be there. But I digress. Haku then hits, hits Hercules with a choke over the rope, which gets which admonishes him through the referee. Hercules is then able to get control back with quite a wild crossbody off an Irish rip into a cover. Haku kicks out a two. Crowd's kind of into it at this point. I don't know that they really like, love Hercules at all, but, you know, they're getting into the fact that it's the opening match for sure. Now, Hercules starts hitting some punches and a forearm that ends up dropping Haku. Then another Irish whip into more punches and clotheslines. He's really not showing different offense, just strikes. Then he hits a nice power slam off an Irish rip with a kick out of two. That surprised me because it came out of nowhere. Um, Hercules then goes to the top rope, waits for Haku to stand up before he jumps off the top rope. And Haku meets him with a super kick right into the kisser. Haku then goes for a top rope big splash. Hercules moves. Haku hits the ring flush. Then Hercules just picks him up with a bridging back suplex and gets the pin. Now, Gorilla, in all of his intelligence, says all four shoulders look like they were down there. We don't have a winner, which completely buried the win uh, because Hercules was declared the winner and, and his shoulders were not down. I thought that was a big miss by Gorilla there because it kind of it hurt Hercules as he wins this match. But um, yeah, but that's pretty much it. WrestleMania five is now underway. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of this broadcast with some big matches coming your way and some multiple title matches. So enjoy your trip around the block of WrestleMania 5. Later, guys. Cronoso, hello. I am Ryan Everett, and I will be going over all of the Mean Gene interview segments at WrestleMania 5. So the bad news is that means you will hear me a lot. But the good news is most of them are pretty short, starting with this, the first one where Mean Gene is interviewing the young, up-and-coming, high-flying team of the Rockers right before their match with the Twin Towers. And 
these are this is not 1997 DX Shawn Michaels both of them are just kind of jogging jumping up and down and standing in, pa in place though and Sean it says this is the big moment of truth and that we're going to see two big men trying to catch Grease Lightning. Uh, Marty lets us know that he's ready to rock and roll, strut and stroll, and slam and jam. And they're going to go do it. And, you know, Mean Gene puts over the importance of this match in the tag team ranks. And really the best part of this whole interview, though, is throughout it all, as like, soon as Shawn Michaels starts talking, they have Jive Soul, Blo Jive Soul Bro playing in the background, which is really going to make any interview so much better. Uh, yeah, but that's it. Kind of a just a little little bit of shine for the babyface rockers before they go out and have a, a great match with the Twin Towers. And our next guest will talk to you about that right now. All right, we are just moments away for the match that pits the Twin Towers, Akeem. And the big boss man, Matty Spice-Lick, against the Rockers. They are Marty Jannetty and you, Shawn Michaels. I'll tell you what, this is the moment of truth. All the talking is over with. You know, everybody's talking about how the Twin Towers, they can't be beat. I'll tell you what, Twin Towers, Akeem and big boss man, the Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels, are going to show you something today at WrestleMania 5 that you've never seen before. And what's it going to be like when the two big men are trying to catch Grease Lightning, Gene? All right, big match, big bad indeed, Marty. That's right. We're taking on the biggest team of professional wrestling. And just to come out in one piece would be a victory. But the Rockers want much more than that, of course. We want to come out the winners. And to do that, we're going to have to rock and roll, strut and stroll, slam and jam, and everything that we do best. Tag team specialty, that's what it's going to be. So get ready, because we're ready. We're ready. Grease Lightning, we're coming. Come on, boys. We're ready. All right, a very important match for both teams. The Twin Towers standing by to beat the Rockers. Right now, let's go back to Gorilla Monsoon and his outspoken colleague, Jesse Ventura. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they're both. Yeah, they're both. Yeah. All right, Cronoso, North South Connection. Welcome, JT and Keithy, here on both video and audio. Uh, I don't know how I'm Akimi or Shawn Michaels. I got to be honest. That doesn't seem right. It should, feels like it should be the other way around. It should be the other way around, but I feel like I may irritate you at some point in this match. So That's you know. true. You may. You may. Listen, WrestleMania 5 is an awesome show. I hope everyone's enjoying Cronoso so far. Um, this is just the beginning. There's a lot more to go. This is the yep. second match on the card. And it's you and I picked it right away. It's one of our both of our favorite matches. Right. Um, it's a hidden gem in that it's not like an ironically good match, right? Where it's like simply like, oh, you just like that match because it's you know cheesy or whatever. But like it's legit really good, big man versus yeah. little man style, but also has Akeem, which is one of the best characters of all time. Uh Twin Towers, one of the best teams. And it's got Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura completely in their bag on commentary. Oh, yeah. Um, all do this match and this whole show. Yes. I think that the only thing I have said before is that um, it it's kind of a glorified squash in the fact that the, both the two teams are completely outmatched as far as like weight goes and stuff like that. And the only thing I said is it would have been it would have been fun to switch switch this with the uh, the um, Bobby Heenan. Jesus Christ. The uh Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard and Strike Force match only because 
we would have gotten a banger from the Rockers and the Brainbusters, and we would have had pretty much the same outcome from Strike Force and the and the Towers. But I would never have given up this match for that because this match is so good. Right. It's so and, good. And Rockers Brainbusters would have made sense in the construct because they had been feuding yeah. um, on house shows and stuff. So I think I think that being a blow off of their feud would have made sense. Um, but, but you lose so much with not having this match. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, to your point, you need to you need to keep this. Uh, although Twin Towers ending Strike Force would have been a good way to keep them hot after the Mega Powers angle as well. Yeah, um, you know, so you could say like, you know, not only did they break up the Mega Powers, basically, uh, I mean, Savage Jealousy did they killed Strike Force. Was working that every part of it. Now they've also killed Strike Force. Yep, uh, part of that as well. So that that could have been a really um, decent decent angle for them. So there's not much build here. Um, WrestleMania Five. Do you think? I have to look back at the card, but I feel like it's the mania with the most tag matches in company history. Um, there's a lot of tag matches on the show, and yeah. most of them don't have a story. They're all just like teams thrown together. No. Bushwhack, yeah. Ujo's, Buster Strike Force, uh, Hot Foundation, Honky and Hammer. Mm-hmm. This one, um, Demolition Powers of Pain obviously has a story, but there's a lot of like a lot of tag. I mean, this is like the peak of their tag depth, but um, it's interesting how many they put on the show right. and had them. Um, just kind of all random, you know, which is funny because I think like later on in the years, we there's been talks. I know you did a talk recently about having maybe combining when you were doing WrestleMania seven for right. war and you were talking about combining like the doing the six man with the heart foundation or the heart family versus oh, what was it? Uh, Tornado, Tito yeah, and uh, yeah, Valentine, uh, Valentine, something like and, that. And yeah. it's so it's funny that this one had like just yeah, WrestleMania five, I think is. It's a, it's a, I don't know how hidden it is because it's usually people lose it. I think when they talk about like greatest of all time manias, I think five is in the discussion. Absolutely. Um, it's up there. Love- it's just, it is long and there is a lot of stuff. I think, um, I, I personally love six. WrestleMania six is like my favorite personal WrestleMania, but I think yeah. five objectively is a better version of six in that they're both kind of bloated cards with a bunch of random matches, but five just the, the matches click better, the in ring action is better. Yeah. Um, yes. than six, but I think it's like a similar structure where they just got everyone on the card. It's a long card. Yeah, um, I'll take the six main event over the five main event. I think that's the only thing I would probably pick. Object again, objectively. Yeah, objectively. Um, subjectively, six to me. I'd, I'd rather watch than five. It's funny because my my view of five is always a little skewed because as a kid, you know, you you're getting any tape you can, right? So yeah. my buddy had um, a black box, but I don't think he had it yet at the time of the show, but he had gotten it from like his dad's friend or something. Yeah. And it's super, the color, I don't know what was up with the TV or the VCR or whatever. The color was super washed out. So it was very yellow. So for many years, this show in my mind had like a yellow hue over it and it made it look super old. And it's just, right. it took me a long time because until like they released the manias on DVD or v- whatever, you know, and yeah. I used to rent it obviously, but, um, once I had the copy from him, my viewpoint of the show was always just this weird washed out yellow hue. It's really funny. Yeah, yeah I can so, see that. But I think that one of the funny things, too, is that, I mean, when you talk about, like, the WrestleManias, a lot of them tend to be, like, one match or two match shows. Yeah. This is, I felt like, at least four or five. Because, I mean, I G, on GFA Live, we did, like, a three-hour show, you know, right. split up into three parts on. <laughs> it was, like, you had, like, the Jake and Andre match was well-built. The Demolition Powers of Pain was well-built. Obviously, the main event was well-built. The Intercontinental title match was well-built. Fucking Piper's appearance was well-built. I mean, it's just funny how many things were 
like you're saying a bloated card where everybody's on the card so everybody can get a payday they still had like a lot of matches that were built very well yeah uh none of the tag matches i think with the exception of the of the tag built. but getting to this match this is just it's great it almost would have been a better opener um and this is i mean what was the opener was it uh hercules yeah that's a good match but i mean that's not an opener i think i mean i always look back at like WrestleMania seven, like that opener is like one of the best. Yeah. Uh, I think you said up until probably 10. And right. then even then it's like still in the discussion as far as like one of the best openers of all time. And it's because it's got the rockers and they're in there against Haku and the Barbarian. It's fantastic. This could have been an opener. You probably could have given them three more minutes in this match, you know, maybe have yeah. another uh, relief spot for the, for the rockers, you know, another hope spot or whatever. But no, I mean, this is like peak boss man and Akeem just beating the piss out of everybody. And I loved it. Um, It was so awesome that they kind of had that little feud with demolition going into like spring, summer. And uh, I, well, we get the, we get the six man at SummerSlam. It's the one time maybe a six man wouldn't have been like, I get why they didn't want to go with like Doug and Andre solo and Andre's kind of in the warrior feud. Yeah. Um, Honestly, looking back, I think I would have maybe left Andre off that card and put him, just put him in rude's corner for the warrior match. uh, If you want to have him somewhere. But I, I think Demolition Twin Towers for the titles should have been on that card. Yeah, that would have been awesome. That yeah. six man's good, it but good. a lot of it also is good because Duggan does the face paint, and that right. kind of like that kind of makes it a fun match. But uh, you could have yeah, them both in the corner too. You could have Andre with the Twin Towers and Duggan with with um, sure. with uh, the uh, <laughs> Demolition, Demolition and have yeah. them fight like at ringside or something. I'm just trying to think like a title match with the, we never got like a proper Demolition Twin Towers. No. No tag title match, right? No, um, and the towers here are so great. Like you know, they're they formed and immediately went into the main event against the Mega sure. Now they oh have to God. come off of that somehow, and and having them reset by destroying the Rockers at WrestleMania is a really good way to do it. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned the following year, like the Hearts destroy the Bolsheviks, right? And then immediately cut a promo saying they want the winners of the tag title. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you this is a great reset, right? You you put yeah, the towers over big towers on the biggest show of the year. Thing. Yeah. And then you set them up to face demolition over the spring and summer on the house shows for the tag titles. Yeah. Um, and they're great here. So there's so many like cool little spots in this match. Like the rockers stop, start hot with like a lot of double team action. Yep. Um, and then once the towers take over though, is just tremendous. You get the great clothesline from Akeem. That's where you, the line you referenced earlier. I think he irritated Akeem. I um, he irritated Akeem. And then there's a great moment before that too. when uh, I think it's Sean or Marty, I forget which one. They they attack Boss Man and they go over and smack Akeem and he's like oh they caught him napping on the apron or whatever and and they did he really looked like he was like kind of like gazing out into the crowd and he gets smacked yeah that was <laughs> the towers on offense is super fun here like they have a lot of high impact moves yes um, from their splashes uh, Boss Man does a power bomb on Shawn Michaels at one point oh isn't that um, the one that off yeah like Michaels jumps off the top rope and he just he catches, catches him and turns him around and yeah I mean yeah. that was one thing too is that. For a big team, I mean, obviously, both guys over, well over 300, you know, uh, 350 even, they were not, like, slow and plotting. Like, they kind of had, like, even when Boss Man was heavy, he was still, he had that speed. And yeah. obviously, we see, like, just two years later, he slims down and he's, like, fast as shit. But Akeem was no slouch, I feel like, no. either. Like, I think both of them had incredible stamina for being that big of, those big of a guys. And I thought, yeah. so that's what I like, because, I mean... You see that with bigger teams, like the natural disasters were no speed demons themselves, you know, but the towers were, 
And yeah, no, it's great. It's a great definitely underrated. I, I think the gimmick makes him seem like a joke historically. Um, so that hurts him, but like in ring, he was always really good, both as one man gang and as Akeem, both as, oh, a, yeah. a, as no. in control with power offense, selling, yeah. stooging around. He was fantastic yeah. at stooging as Akeem. I mean, tremendous. Yeah. Uh so I, I do think it's it's sad that he preempt, preemptively ends his WF run when he does. I think he could have had a little bit more longevity. By the time he shows up in WCW in like 95 with the Dungeon of Doom, like he's he's a little less mobile and he's a little bit more washed at that point. But yeah. in his little heyday here in 80s, you know, even in Mid-South or whatever, so like 85 oh, to yeah. 89, um, he could definitely go. He, he was really, really good worker. Yeah. The finish is great too with the, you know, Rockers have a very brief hope spot and then Akeem yeah. drops the – 747 on them. Um, I I like though that one of the things about one about one of the things about Akeem slash gang is that I feel like with the gang, he might have been a little stale-ish. But then the Akeem, and I know we say it's like a it's a terrible gimmick, but it's like Dusty's polka dots, man. He took right. that and ran with it and was awesome yeah. with it, you know. And and especially at a time when they were giving terrible gimmicks to people, right. uh the rooster i mean it's just like he could have been right. the red him buying in work. saved it right him buying in made it work um yeah. i mean you could argue that yes one man gang goes out of gas but if you put him with boss man in that main event feud he yeah. probably bumps back up so they could have left him as gang yeah they could have they could have the twin in that level of feud. Yeah. Yeah, the prison guard and the prison the prisoner like kind of come yeah, together no, right? actually, that, yeah, I, I read something the other day where somebody said that uh they should have brought him back as the one man gang when nails debuted <laughs> right. have him like kind of team up with nails and i was like no we don't need nails on television any more than he was in 92 right. but yeah, um, we should have had that be one man gang screw nails it should have been um, a one man gang that would have been awesome yeah. the story would have been there right you you made yeah. me dress like a fool then you turned on me and now yeah. i'm back i'm back to what i used to be it would have been better than nails i'm back um, boss man <laughs> so yeah this this match i like that it's early in the card the yeah. crowd is into it mm-hmm. um I'm sad we don't get to see what they do because right as they're fading out after they beat them, uh, boss man takes the handcuffs from slick. And it looks like they're going to cuff them and beat them, but they cut away from it. I forget what they have to go to a video package or what, but um, you never know what they were going to do. Yeah, it would have been great. I guess the, the audience at, at the Trump tower Plaza hotel and casino got to see something we didn't. So yeah. and Josh Silbro like in that setting is, is oh. awesome. Um, just echoing through Trump Plaza uh, as you know, both before and then after the match, it's good. Yep. It's a perfect match. We should have had it under us the whole time here. Um, it's a perfect early card WrestleMania match. Yes. Uh, you know, and I don't even know if it even hurts the Rockers because the story of the match and on commentary is so clean and clear that they're just overmatched on size. Like, you know, and they're doing their best. They're trying to stick and move, but yeah. the, the towers are a main event level tag team. They're in weak. 19, yeah, in yeah, 1999, you're not going to worry about a team that's outweighed by 200 pounds losing. Yeah, and 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 they're coming off, you know, only weeks before main yeah. eventing the main event with yeah. with Hogan and Savage. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. Like they're right. I mean, they're as main event level team as you can get in early '89. Yep. So I think the Rockers don't like it. Doesn't look bad for them in any way. Now, like you said, you could have the Rockers Busters. You could have Strike Force. Um, maybe that story even is better if it's if it's towers because Martel can say, like, when he turns after, like, what, like I don't understand any of this. You made me come back to this team. Yeah. You agreed to fight these guys that are like huge, bigger than us. I'm coming back yeah. from injury. I could have gotten hurt again. You yeah. know, so maybe you could have done that. 
and then had Rockers Busters. But I think with how bloated that card is, Rockers Busters isn't going to get the time you need anyway. I mean, yeah. I guess it would have got eight or nine minutes. It could have had a sprint, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, they do beat up on Tito like by himself for a little bit. So right. <laughs> after Martel leaves, so but we'll leave that for the next group to do on uh, the Cronoso. Well, and the Busters are so um, the uh, Busters are so good at dissecting. Like so that that match is cool because they really dissect Tito after Martel mm -hmm. leaves. So mm -hmm. like I don't know if you get that scene. You probably could have. It's perfect. I, I don't think there's any. No, definitely need this is just, this is just going back because I guess it's just wishful thinking that we got the big television pay per view blow off of the Busters and the Rockers. Right. And you're gonna you need to do something with Tito and Rick Montel anyway. So why not just yeah. utilize that and insert? But again, it. I'm, I would have been more excited to see this match live and in person than Rockers. Oh, yeah. They, they really needed another WrestleFest that summer, yeah. like a big yeah. stadium card where they could have done Demolition Towers. They could have done Rockers Brain Busters. Yeah. Um, but I like your SummerSlam 89 rebook for the title. So. Yeah, I wouldn't change much about that card, honestly, um, because the other six-man's awesome, too. The Rockers and Rougeau's, I'd leave that. Busters, Heart Foundation's awesome. You could yeah. leave that. And actually, yeah. I figured Demolition's not even tag champs at that show. Um, so that's I guess right, that's yeah. probably why they did it the way they did. So Yeah. So maybe that's oh, why they did right. That's right. They're not the tag champs. That's right. Yeah. So and I guess Andre was involved in that tag title change anyway. So Andre being at ringside would have made total sense just yeah. to have them at ringside. But I'm less worried about it now. I, I forget they weren't champions. So I guess doing a six man um doesn't make a difference at that point. If they're not the belts wouldn't have been involved anyway. So anyway, I would have been a lot I would have been a lot more excited though if there was a quick reign. I mean, granted, you're taking away a tag title reign from the from Tully and Arn, but Right. It would have been cool if Demolition dropped the belts to the powers for a little bit. Yeah. That would have been fun. All right. Well, hopefully you enjoyed this installment, uh, this section of this installment, Chrono. So it's, go back and watch this match if you haven't seen it in a while. It's a super lot of fun, and it's it's quick. It's like, what, eight or nine minutes, I think. It's it's pretty short. Yeah, yeah it's not a um, long, man. But it's it's a classic. If you like, like, big versus little in a tag setting, this is it. Like, mm -hmm. you get the Rockers flying, sick moving, towers over power, and crushing them in the end. Um, yep. And that's that. So check out everything in North South Connection. Uh, Ryan Gray and I are counting down every single WrestleMania match ever, 402 to 1, in a short format. That's on YouTube Shorts, TikTok, Instagram, Reels. You can find any of them there. Uh, they're all under a minute, and we're just breaking down every single match. This will be on there at some point soon, of course, as will every match on the rest of this card. So stay tuned to Cronoso. Check out the rest of WrestleMania 5, and we'll talk to you soon. I'm gonna end it right where it always ends. Next, you get DiBiase doing the tightest 60 second interview in the history of WrestleMania. There is zero heat going into this feud. This match is just thrown together. So let's put over that Beefcake's cuts and strut. Let's put over that DiBiase is the million dollar man and that he is a high brow individual. And let's keep continuing on on WrestleMania 5. <laughs> The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and his bodyguard, Virgil, later this afternoon, WrestleMania 5 against Brutus the Barber Beefcake, a man who knows a little bit about strutting, 
and a lot about cutting, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, listen, little man, first of all, I have anxiously anticipated this day for some time. WrestleMania 5, because you see, out in the crowd today, there are going to be people that are members of my club, the highly elite. I'm talking about people like Donald Trump and Henry Kravitz, people with clout, people with money, people that are going to be here today to see me demolish you, Beefcake. Oh, yeah, Beefcake. You are looking at a man who spends thousands of dollars being the finely groomed individual that I am. And if you think you're going to put those grubby paws of yours on this head of hair, you better think again. Because today you meet your destiny, that being defeated by the greatest athlete in the World Wrestling Federation, the Million Dollar Man. As is evident by this million dollars worth of gold and diamonds around my waist, it shines like I do, brighter than any star in the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> okay, let's go back to Gorilla Monsoon. What do you hear? What do you say? Hello, folk. Hello, Cronoso fans. And welcome to my segment of today's WrestleMania 5 special. I am covering the... Ted DiBiase versus Brutus DeBarber Beefcake match. So we get the video under underway as we see uh, Mr. Ted DiBiase coming down the ringside, showing off his uh, million-dollar belt to the one and only Donald Trump. Oh, Donald is here. Ted DiBiase being accompanied to the ringside by Virgil. Virgil in a very lovely uh, pink ensemble. And the gentleman who makes his spring residence in Palm Beach, Florida, weighing 260 pounds, the self-proclaimed million-dollar champion, Ted champion who did he beat yes. who did he beat yeah he had to beat somebody to get all that money listen to him going bananas here. i got a gorilla he beat the banker yeah he certainly did here comes and coming down the steps in a lovely uh, gold Outfit to that classic entrance theme is one Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Here's it. Face Mr. Ted DiBiase. Non-title match. The million-dollar title is not on the line. Which uh, has pretty much perturbed Gorilla. But what doesn't perturb Gorilla? The Earl Hepner's our referee. Deep joy. Brutus Beefcake's down here. Mullet and all. He is... Uh, was he here last year, WrestleMania 4? He was here at WrestleMania 3, because he sort of turned face, didn't he? And then, was he here at WrestleMania 4? Yes, he faced uh, Hunky Tonk Man, yes. And obviously, Ted DiBiase was here last year at WrestleMania 4 in the uh, tournament to crown the new WWF champion. He was here in the, got all the way to the final, losing to Randy Savage. So, uh, Million Dollar Man wearing his black tights, black boots with the million dollar signs on them. Got that beautiful million dollar belt in hand. Recently had that belt created a couple of months ago. Brutus Beefcake's come down with his uh, big old uh, garden shears. He's got uh, holes in his trousers, holes in his coat. Looks like Million Dollar Man's recently had a haircut. The hair's a bit uh, different. Donald Trump in the front row. Ah, uh, yes, uh, fake, fake news. 
listening to the weasel too long. What a view! Jam-packed here, Trump Plaza, Atlantic City for WrestleMania Five. Beefcake's wearing a very risque outfit here. He's got gold, gold uh, tights on, but they've sort of got fishnet quite close to the buttocks. I think you can probably see. Uh, I think from the front you can probably see his um, cuck. Oh, backdrop there by Beefcake. Beefcake in control f at the beginning of this match. Uh, oh, big right hand. Regular the ice by DBOC. Irish up now by DBOC. Big back body drop. Holy moly. DBOC scurries to the outside. So we're here in Atlantic City, Trump Plaza. Uh, I don't, is it still there? I don't, is it still there? I don't know if it is still there. We'll have a look. We'll have a look while we're here. I think it's still on. Or oh, might have got, um, might have got Doodad in the. It's a former hotel. It was demolished 2021. It operated from May the 14th, 1984 until September 16th, 2014. Its main tower was demolished by controlled demolition on February the 17th, 2021. <laughs> controlled demolition. Who? What, what member was he? Where was he in the fucking ranks of demolition? <laughs> Couple of knife edge chops there by DBRC. Irish whips reversed by Beefcake. Oh, and big, beautiful power slam there by Beefcake. And picks up DBOC and again slams him down. And again. Beefcake in full control here. As he is a... Uh, his uh, ranking goes up today in the Mega Powers. Obviously, as later on, the Mega Powers will be exploding. So, uh, Beefcake goes from number three to number two. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, don't forget you can follow me and the Old Bakery Productions over on Twitter at Old Bakery Pro. We give you each and every Saturday the UK's number one and only Memphis wrestling related podcast. We're currently in uh, January of 1984. Uh, we've also got the Monday Night Project where we cover each and every other Monday. We're currently covering Monday Night Raw from 1994. <laughs> It'll soon be WCW Saturday night from 1996. We're currently in May of 1994. We've also got the Hamburg All-Stars where we are currently in... We've just begun 1978, I believe. Yes, we've just, yes, we've just started 1978. So we do that each and every other Monday. So one Monday it's that, one Monday it's that. And then also once a month we bring you Pure Russo Passion. Episode 1 is out already, where we cover numerous matches from New, uh, Japan. One of those matches we covered last time cover, uh, we featured Master Saito versus Brutus Beefcake in, a, in an all-time classic, if you will. But uh, Beefcake and DBRC here slugging, uh, slugging each other off. <laughs> big clobber on right hands there by Beefcake. Virgil's now interfering from behind, outside. He's grabbed the leg of Beefcake and the big right hand by DBRC. Sends down the barber. That's why he's got a hired bodyguard, Gorilla. Yeah, to steal matches for him, right? You can't win fair, cheap. Yeah, that's your motto. Win if you can, lose. So yeah, you can join us each and every over uh, every time. You can find us on all good podcast suppliers, as well as the place to be wrestling network. We've also got a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash at MemphisCast, where you can uh, watch some good stuff we've got over there. Oh, DB also now Rams Beefcake face first at that top turnbuckle. A manoeuvre that he wouldn't be able to do uh, in about two years' time. 
Beefcakes has his face smashed in by a couple of knees. Big back elbow there by DBRC. Beautifully done. <laughs> Fist drop there by DBRC. So, some guy now coming walking down the stairs. Looks like Peter Griffin just ra waved at the hard cam. Full house. I can't remember what the attendance for this is. Is it 18? 18, 19,000? I believe... DBRC now on the second rib on the inside. Waiting for Beefcake to get up. 18,946, if you believe Wikipedia. Oh, beautiful double axe there by Ted DBRC for the second rib. So this is match number three. I believe we are match number three. We are match number three of 14 card. So you'll be uh, later on. You'll be able to hear the the guys talk about matches such as Bushwhackers versus the Fabulous Rougeos. We've got Demolition versus the Powers of Pain and Mr. Fuji. Dino Bravo versus uh, Ronnie Garvin. Garvin, as well as like we said, the Mega Powers exploding, as well as other great matches and segments here in this. Uh, it's a pretty decent WrestleMania. I like WrestleMania Four. A lot of people don't because of the tournament. But like I've said before, I always liked seeing... I like these big cards because I never saw week-to-week -week television regularly. So I would see... I saw this... Um, I didn't see this live. I, I got this on the tape. I think, or, did, or did I rent it? I think I rented it from uh, the local blockbuster here in the UK. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing lots of matches with lots of people that I wouldn't necessarily see each and every week. So I'm a big fan of Survivor Series. a big fan of Royal Rumbles. Big fan of big cards like WrestleMania 5, WrestleMania 4, WrestleMania 6, etc. etc. So, I, 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 this is a fun event, really. It's probably one I don't watch a lot. I don't have Peacock. Um, I'm watching this through Daily Motion. So, I don't um, get to enjoy. I don't have time because I've recorded four, four, four podcasts. I don't quite have time to watch wrestling that doesn't that I'm not watching on a, for a podcast, if you know what I mean. So, double clothesline there by DBRC and Beefcake. Beefcake Barber. That's coming later this. Uh, that's coming in a couple of months. Beefcake Barber. Teddy Bussy will be involved. Will he be involved with that? Mm, not really. No, he's going to be involved with uh, Jake the Snake in a little while. Virgil on the outside. Like we said in that very uh, lovely shiny pink suit thing that he's wearing. Teddy now measuring Beefcake for something. Is he going for the dream, maybe? And he's going for it. And he's got it on. He's got the million dollar dream locked on. He's got it on. He's got it on. He's got it on. Middle of the ring. He's got the million dollar dream locked on. Perhaps here, Beefer's fighting it, though. He's got that powerful upper body. And he reached the ropes. Oh, gonna have to break it. I see we've got this classic commentary team of Jesse and Gorilla. Jesse, this, we don't see Jesse for a while, do we? After this, SummerSlam, it's Shivani. Yeah, SummerSlam, it's not Jesse, it's uh, Shivani and... Is it sure? No, Shivani and Jesse in it. Yeah, we don't hear from Gorilla for a while. Oh, big right there by DBRC. Rams, no, Beefcake blocks, Beefcake blocks, and Rams DBRC in the top turnbuckle himself. They'll let me just moving about, talking to people. Get in the way. 
Slugfest again. No beefcake now. Beefcake. Rams DBRC head first. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten times into the top turnbook and face bump by DBRC. Beefcake's motion to the crowd that he's going to put uh, DBRC to sleep. He's going to cut some hair, kick to the gut. Irish whip by Beefcake. Sleeper! Middle of the ring, he's got the sleeper. Here comes Virgil's on the apron. Virgil's on the apron. Beefcake goes after Babe, after Virgil. Oh, from behind, DBRC clobbers Beefcake and club. Beefcake goes to the outside. Virgil now out there. Oh, smashing Beefcake with forearm smashes and rams him face first in the apron. Hardest part of the ring, as we now know. Beefcake says, no way, brother. That's not going to work for me. Pointing the finger at Virgil. Future, these two men would be future members of the NWO. Oh, Beefcake. Nope, Virgil shoving him, Beefcake shoving him. Oh, no, from behind, DiBiossi. Off the apron. Tony Guerrero on the outside moving his chair. DiBiossi now with Beefcake. Oh, big right hand. And again. Seven. Referees up to seven. Both men are out on the outside. Eight. Nine. That's it. Ring a ding ding. The bell has been rung. Both these men have been counted out. They're slugging each other off again. <laughs> right in front of Donald P. Trump. Oh, DBC goes into the ring post. Virgil now attacks Beefcake from behind. Beefcake now chasing Virgil. Virgil's running around the ring, jumping over the steps. Virgil now rolls into the ring for some reason. Oh, kick by Virgil. No, grabbed by Beefcake. Beefcake's grabbed him. Spins him around, picks him up, and... Oh, atomic drop. Beefcake clotheslines Virgil. Going to put him to sleep, apparently. He's going to put him to sleep. Obviously, Virgil can't have his hair cut because he's got no... He's as bald as a... Bald as a... Cue ball. DBS now in on the inside. No, it's right hand by beef, beef, Beefcake. Beefcake wants some hair cut. DBS gets slammed. The bell has rung, but this match is a draw. Both these men. Beefcake got his shears. He's got his big old garden shears. Now rolls to the inside. DBS rolls out and takes Virgil with him. So that is that, ladies and gentlemen. So, thank you very much. We have just watched Ted DiBiase versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake in this uh, special WrestleMania 5 Chronoso. We will see you next time on the Chronoso, and uh, please enjoy the rest of the show. Ta-ta! Just a, a primitive... A primitive with Lord Alfred Hayes and the Bushwhackers coming up here. Overall, this is pretty good fun, guys. One of the favorite events at WrestleMania 5 is the brunch. And as you can see, it is also a favorite event, obviously, of Luke and Butch. I say, you chaps at the uh, training table here preparing for your match. Yeah. I see. Yeah, we're ready, man. We're ready, we're ready, we're ready. Well, obviously, their reputation has preceded them. Their opponents claim to find them extremely offensive inside the ring. And obviously, looking at this, they're pretty offensive outside the ring, too. Tell me, Luke, how do you expect to counter the speed of the fabulous Rougeau brothers? Oh, very, very interesting. 
Butch, how would you deal with the uh, speed of the fabulous one shot Just a private, a primitive, a private um, uh, opinion there by Butch. Let me return you to a more civilized environment. Hey there, everyone. It's the Down Under Thunder, and we're here. It's WrestleMania 5. We uh, hope you are enjoying this episode of Chronoso, and I'm going to continue the journey by talking to you about the match between the Bushwhackers and the fabulous Rougeau brothers. Now, if you've been doing this journey with us for a while, you will know that I have become a very big fan of the Rougeau brothers through my reviews of their matches uh, through 88 and early 89. Sadly, I've also been lumped with the Bushwhackers this episode. Now, I don't know if the powers that be threw the Bushwhackers at me because they're from New Zealand and I'm from Australia. Now, I know a lot of people seem to think that we might be the same, but we're actually two different countries. They're, they're sort of like our cousins, but, you know, yeah. outside of rugby union, if you know anything about rugby, you know, sort of know New Zealand are the best team in the world. Outside of rugby, um, Australia beats New Zealand in everything. We're, we're, we're the dominant country. <laughs> but or, 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 look, yeah, the Bushwhackers are a unique team because they, they really come across as a, um, a, a cross between Outback Jack and Kamala, like it really feels like when Vince realized Outback Jack sucked, and he did. I'm an Aussie. I'll acknowledge it. He sucked dirt. It's almost like he felt like he needed to tap into this down under market, and so he brought in um, Luke and Butch the Bushwhackers, and sort of you know got them away from the sadistic, violent background that they'd had, and sort of tried to make them a bit more fun loving. And it really comes across like Outback Jack cross with Kamala because Kamala was always sort of the cannibal, eats anything, sort of that just, oh, you know, like very primitive at times. And then the Bushwhackers come across that way. And we actually see that because just prior to this match, we cross to the pre-recording of Lord Alfred Hayes at the WrestleMania brunch. And he's basically just with the Bushwhackers who are sitting at a table. They're sitting at the training table, according to Lord, Lord Al, and they're just gobbling down food and eating and eating. And Lord Al starts asking them questions. Uh, what's your strategy? Are you ready? And and they've just got their, Luke and Butch have got their mouths full of food. And you can't hear a word they're saying. You can't understand a thing. And, um, and it actually gets to the point where Lord Al starts to break character. He starts to crack up and he can't control his reactions. He, he starts to get all tongue-tied and he sends it back to, uh, to Gorilla and Jesse. And so here we are, the match. You know, I've, I've, I've said it before. I love the Bush, the Rougeos, not the Bushwaggers. I love the Rougeos. I love the gimmick. I love, I've been loving this journey. Really interested to see how this match plays back now after I've seen what I've seen of the Rougeos. So we're back in the arena. All American boys is playing. The Rougeos are coming out. And the first thing you notice is that Jacques actually has his wrist taped, wrist and fist taped. Now, I'm not sure why Gorilla and Jesse do not mention the tape on his wrist at any point. They don't talk about an injury or anything. And the taped fist doesn't 
play into the match. So it really seems to indicate that this is a legitimate injury. This is something he's done. Not sure. Maybe he's got a broken knuckle. Maybe he's got a broken wrist. Maybe he's got broken feet. I don't know what it is, but there must be something there. Um, uh, the Rougeos are in the ring now. Come the Bushwhackers. The Bushwhacker music starts. They start marching to the ring with that Bushwhacker march and Gorilla sort of comments that they ought, they have a style of all their own. And Jesse says that he saw Gorilla walking through the casino the other night just like that. And um, Gorilla says, well, sometimes it happens. I like, I like the Gorilla played into that. That was a great comment by Jesse. Uh, Jesse then suggests that the uh, Bushwhackers are on the Joy Juice. I, I certainly think they're on something. I don't know what, but they're on something. And, and Jesse starts talking about... But Gorilla starts talking about to Jesse about in his day. I talk about to Jesse in your day. And Jesse really gets sort of a bit taken aback by that. He asks, what do you mean in my day? What are you talking about? You know, he, you know as Jesse likes to imply that he, he's not really retired or shouldn't be retired, that he's only just retired. But anyway, Bushwhackers march to the ring. And as they get in the ring, Jacques and Raymond bail. They bail out of the ring, but Jimmy gets caught in the ring and the Bushwhackers start chasing him around. And they manage to get a hold of his jacket. Now, Jimmy sheds the jacket and gets out of the ring, and the Bushwhackers go to rip the jacket apart. And as they do this, Jacques and Raymond hit the ring and attack. They get the Bushwhackers in the corner, and they go for a whip, but it's reversed. Now, just before it gets reversed, Jimmy has managed to get back in the ring to grab his jacket, and as a result, all three are sandwiched in the middle. It's a nice little spot. It's a good, fun spot. Um, and they bail out to the ring. And, and Jesse asks the question, why does everyone want to beat up on poor Jimmy? Um, says it's because he's a weakling. And um, uh, Gorilla sort of says it's because he's a pain in the you-know-what. The Rougeos and Jimmy regrip on the floor. We get the hug, the brother hug. And, and, and Jesse starts to talk about that what Jimmy Hart did with the Hart Foundation contract was totally legal. Jesse raises the Heart Foundation story, and this now begs the question. I'm going to get back to this a little shortly. Why on earth was this match not the Heart Foundation versus the Rougeau brothers? We'll get back to that in a moment. Um, Raymond uh, starts with Luke, and he throws out the handshake. Uh, Luke doesn't want to take it. He, uh, we get a whip to the rope, and, and Ray drops to the mat, and Luke tries to get an elbow, and Ray rolls out of the way. It's a really you know, nice little move. And he high-fives Jacques. And they're, they're sort of celebrating with each other. And Butch attacks them both. And then grabs Luke. And they do a battering ram on Ray. So straight out, the Bushwhackers get right on top. Luke goes for a cover. And Jacques tries to break up the, the, the cover with a drop, knee drop. But um, Luke rolls out of the way. And Jacques comes down on top of Raymond's chest. It's, again, a nice move. This is being well done. Um, they quickly roll to the floor again, Jacques and Raymond, and they regroup again. Uh, Jacques comes in, and he really um, – he has got these really long laces on his boots. And it, the ref sort of calls him out. He says, what's going on here? And he starts talking. They're looking at the boot. And, and while he's doing that, Ray hits Luke from behind. And the Rougeos have got the dominance. Raymond does the Boston Crab, and Jacques is stomping on his back. Uh, they then – uh, double up on Luke and beat him down a bit. We get a big Irish whip to the buckles by Ray. And now Ray goes for a body slam. And as he does, clear as day on the camera, Luke grabs Ray's package, gets a handful of package. 
Now, to his credit, Ray does not sell it. Ray does not flinch. Ray does not do anything. But it is clear. You just know. I've always had the feeling Luke and Butch were probably backstage jokes. In fact, if you know anything about Aussies and New Zealanders, we like jokes. We like practicality and stuff like that. So... I think Luke was just trying to get a bit of a razz, see if he could get Ray to break character. Ray doesn't do it. Well done, Ray. I'll tell you what, if someone grabbed my package in the middle of a match, I probably would want to thump him. Uh, Ray comes off the second turnbuckle with an axe handle. Um, and they just they just continue. Jacques hits a back elbow. They do a double chop. Uh, we get another reverse whip and, and, and a reverse chop. And at this point, Ray clocks Butch on the apron and, and just, you know, lets him know that they're still there. Then we get one of the spots. I love this spot from the from the Rougeau brothers. Jack locks in the abdominal stretch and really cinches in and turns around and starts chanting USA to absolutely no reaction. Not a not a not a not a murmur, not a boo, not nothing. I don't believe this is because the Rougeos were not over. I believe this is because the Trump crowd was dead. The Trump Plaza crowd was just dead because of who made up the Trump Plaza crowd. Um, then we get the rest of the spot. He tags in Ray. Ray does the crescent kick. It looks great. And and Shark and Ray are hugging in celebration. And at this point, Butch gets back in the ring, hits them both, sort of gives them a quick shot to drop them to the knees, then grabs Luke, and they do the battering ram on Ray. The rest is trying to get Jacques out of the ring, and so they hit the double break, double stomach breaker on Ray and get the pin before Jacques can break it up. And just like that, the match is over. And, and Jesse calls it. It's a major upset, and the Bushwhackers seemed off their game. The Bushwhackers start licking each other in celebration while Jacques and Raymond complain to the ref. And then we go to the floor and Sean Mooney's down there on the floor and the Bushwhackers come up and they lick him. Mate, they lick the crap out of him. And Sean Mooney, I love, this is probably my favorite Sean Mooney quote in his entire career in the company. Few words cannot explain what it feels like to be licked by a Bushwhacker. He then comments how it's like having a dog and then he says he's going to go clean up. So, look, this was short. This was quick. What do we make of it? It really it, it felt like it just they wanted to get everyone on the card. And it's almost like they wanted to reward the Rougeos for their past year and all the work they'd done and get them on the card. Then they lump them with the Bushwhackers. And it's just, it's just nothing. Luke and Butch actually basically get outside of the battering ram and the stomach breaker, get no offense. Jacques and Raymond don't do a heck of a lot. Like they do their basic stuff, but this is sort of what you'd see on a superstars match. And I felt really sorry for Jacques and Raymond. The, the sad thing is the Bushwhackers could have done this match with anyone. And the Rougeau brothers were wasted. Everything we've seen, the character work, the in-ring work over the past nine months gets tossed away in this match. And, and, I really feel the company did him did him bad. I think this match, as I said before, should have been the Hart Foundation and the Rougeos. They should have blown off that storyline here. They had the six man at um the six man at the Royal Rumble, but it never didn't really settle anything because you had Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Dino Bravo involved in the match. I think they should have brought it all the way to WrestleMania and let those two tear the house down. The Bushwhackers could have wrestled 
Honky Tonk Man and Greg the Hammer Valentine and done the exact same match with them, and no one would have cared because Honky, no one cared about anymore. Valentine, he was past it now. The Bushwhackers could have got a win over them, and you know they would have looked exact. You could have done the exact same match, almost move for move, and it wouldn't have mattered. But the Rougeos just looked. It almost looked like they were punished. For what? They've been one of the stars of the tag division for the last nine months. Um, the only reason they probably weren't in tag team title matches is because you had the Powers of Pain demolition feud going on. It really is a shame. I feel sorry for them. They're, they've become one of my favorite teams. And their character work and their work in this match was good. They were crisp. They were solid. They were on point. They moved quick. They did everything to make the Bushwhackers look amazing. So credit to the Rougeos. They, they, they did great. The match stinks. One star at best, if even that. The Rougeos get four stars for their character work and, the, and their in-ring work, what they actually did themselves. The Bushwhackers, oh, they suck. Um, they really did nothing. And the company, the company gets an absolute dud for not only making us watch this, but but forcing the Rougeos into this match when we could have had so much better. But you know what? There is so much better to come. Don't go anywhere, guys. WrestleMania 5 is going to continue here on Chronoso. I encourage you, um, if you want to check out other stuff I've done, go to the um, the main, uh, the, go to the network, go to the Place to Be Nation network and um, grab and listen to Through the Looking Glass. Um, our most recent episode was our Royal Rumble episode. Um, we always love doing doing that one. Um, so go back, listen to Through the Looking Glass with myself and Scott Criscola. I really appreciate that those who do. But for now, that's it from me today. You're not getting a double dose this time, but I'll tell you what, keep listening. Thanks for your patronage, and I will see you next episode. Cronoso, me and Jenny are back tonight for our WrestleMania 5 match, and we have selected the Blue Blazer versus Mr. Perfect. How are you doing tonight, Jenny? I am wonderful. Logan, nice to be here with you. We are live watching this episode again. Excited mm-hmm. for this. Um, this one's pretty good, right? Yeah, this is, uh, I think this one's pretty heralded as being one of like the best sub five minute matches of all time so mm-hmm. this is a quick one and it has a lot of good pacing and action so looking forward to watching it for sure mr perfect in his lime green looking mm-hmm. um very endowed oh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh and he almost <laughs> tripped coming down the steps there we go yep <laughs> his nipples are uh, very uh, protruding as well they're nippling it <laughs> must have must have been cold on the Trump Plaza uh, here here tonight. So they came to this venue two years in a row. They were there for WrestleMania four and came back for five. So mm-hmm. um, they either couldn't afford to go anywhere else, or they really liked the the, the uh, ballroom that they had here for the uh, the plaza. So or whatever this little area is. What do you think about this venue? Um, I think it has a cool look. Um. I like the steps uh, that kind of lead down mm-hmm. to the at the beginning of the a ramp and stuff. So I, I, I like the look of it. I don't know how 
uh, I don't know how it looks aesthetic, aesthetically, like on TV and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I think it, I think it definitely has its features that are cool. What do you think? I, I like it too. Um, interesting that they did the did it back to back as well. It looks yes. like a big circus tent, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> a real fancy, yeah, circus a fancy tent. one, yeah, like a Trump one. one. Like they added, they added lights to it and made it a little, mm-hmm. little bit more right, dazzling. Yeah. But yeah, um, what do you think of the Blue Blazers? Uh, very bright blue and outfit here. Oh, he looks wonderful. I mean, he look, he's not quite as well endowed as, uh, <laughs> as Mister Perfect, but I mean, Owen has that Owen body. It's just like a <laughs> very dad bod. Yes, very. Yeah, every 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 man type of thing. Mm-hmm. But, I, mean, I like he's his a, mask. Mm-hmm. He he's a very he has a very fit dad bod, but he still has a dad bod nonetheless. Right. He that is maybe a tad tight what he's got on right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might need to go to the size up next time. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Owen. R.I.P. My little brother Owen. This is uh, this is good though. Mm-hmm. Oh, kick yeah. over the top rope. Mm-hmm. They're cooking now. Yeah, we, we know how much uh, chemistry uh, Mr. Perfect has with Owen's brother and how much mm-hmm. chemistry Owen has with his brother. So mm-hmm. good to see them uh, match up here because I don't think they ever really match up when, you know, Owen actually comes back as Owen and Perfect is, uh, you know, at his at the top of his power. So, mm-hmm. oh, OK, they don't. Uh, not really. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't I won't say they know. Ne- oh, my gosh. That was sick. Mm hmm. Yeah, because I mean, like when Owen kind of comes back on the uh, on the scene, uh, Perfect's kind of on his way out, so oh, gotcha. they just never kind of really cross paths. I think that makes this even more special, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I said this is one of the best sub, however many ma- minute matches. I think mm-hmm. it's fi- I think it's only like four something minutes, but uh, Owen has another one of those that's at the King of the Ring uh, in 1994 against uh, One Two Three Kid. So he's mm-hmm. uh, really good at these quick, uh, fast-paced little, little, little uh, quick matches that, that that he can have. So he's really good at pacing these and kind of getting all his shit in. So because I know that one's legit, like only three minutes, but it mm-hmm. never, it never fucking stops. Oh damn! What was that? <laughs> yeah, they haven't stopped moving this entire time. Mm-hmm. And they're not really doing it. Well, Owen's fixing to go up top, but they're not doing anything overly complicated. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. Oh, sick. <laughs> just, just constant movement. Yeah. Perfect got his knees up on that dive. That was Owen bounced like crazy on that. Oh yeah, though yeah, that's just an absolutely sick sell there. <laughs> Trump is uh, in the front row, if you haven't noticed, by the way. Yeah, well, I was trying not to. Oh, okay. Ready. Sorry. I, I, I'll, I'll go fuck myself for pointing that one out. <laughs> As you should. Yeah. I, I'll just, I, I do that anyways most of the time. So I'll, I'll definitely just add an extra, extra layer of uh, fucking myself on that one. I wonder what this, what Trump gave this match on his spreadsheet with his star ratings. Well, it's uh, approximately two and a half stars. <laughs> he's just... Uh, he looks like he's uh, enjoying himself, so... Yes. Uh, <laughs> which, 
<laughs> I'll say you can say that one way or the other, I guess. <laughs> They're slowing it down a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect wrenching in this uh, neck neck crank. What are you going to call this? It's not really a camel clutch, but just a seated chin lock, I guess. Going in for the chops. Oh, God. I will say Owen keeps going back to the body slam a little bit. The slam, much. yeah. A lot yeah. of them, they're mm-hmm. transitioned with that slam. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're talking to each other a lot, too. Oh, that was a good belly-to-belly there. That was good. Good kick out. Ooh. Come on, Tim White. Get your fucking shirt tail tucked in, you dumb bastard. (laughs) I just noticed that. (laughs) Well, it all popped all the way out. Oh. That was a shitty count, but okay. Yeah, yeah, he's too worried about oh. tucking his damn shirt tail in. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, he just got murdered. He's not worried about counting. He's worried about getting his damn oh, shirt tucked in. Or Vince is going to chew, chew him out. And perfect flex. One of my favorite finishers. That is beautiful. I do love it. Oh, that was beautiful. That was really good. Let's watch it again, Logan. Okay. Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> We can do it. We can do it. (laughs) Go ahead. It's hard to like analyze this match. Like, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's, it might be a five star match. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I would quite go that high, but it is very good. Nah, I don't. I don't think it's quite five star. I don't know. I just feel like it. I feel like a five star match needs to build a little bit more than that did. But for I mean, for as short as it was, it was really really good Mm -hmm. though. Would maybe, you like to more. see them with more time, or do you like this this length and what they just did in this time that they had? I mean, it definitely worked in this little this time that they had, mm-hmm. but I I would definitely like to see a longer match with them. Yeah, I, I'm assuming they face each other on house shows and stuff, or on at MSG or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I would love to see a longer match between the two. That would be awesome. Because, like I said, they both have great chemistry with Brett, and mm-hmm. so I mean, I would think that they would probably have the same chemistry with each other. So, um, and they're both young at this point, so I think it would be super awesome. And I mean, they just proved that they could really work well together. So I exactly. don't see why they wouldn't have more. But mm-hmm. um, if only we knew a whole bunch of people that knew stuff about wrestling could tell us, perhaps maybe where to find some other matches between these two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think somebody will probably hook us up after. Yeah, somebody, after so. somebody listens to this, so uh, <laughs> maybe do some light research uh, afterwards then as well. But um, yeah, that that's it. Uh, I would probably go about three and a half on it. Uh, I I do think it is really good for the little time that they are given. So um, really good stuff. But what about you? Yeah, I might bump it down to a four. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Is there anything you want to promote before we get out of here? Uh, just me on No So on Wednesdays, where you find my shows. I make a couple of different ones. Wrestling, um, comics, documentaries. Um, I got a new Talk and Pop hopefully coming up very shortly. So I um, hope you guys can check me out on Wednesdays and on all the socials at Jenny Position. What about you? 
Yeah, I've got on the North South connection here, uh, Lincoln Up Luchas. You do that show with me along with Jake Schiff and Sean. Uh, we're building towards uh, the end of the season. I think we've got about 10 episodes before, or about eight episodes before we get to Ultima Lucha. So uh, definitely looking forward to getting to that. Um, but we're just having a ton of fun going through that one. And then on the Placement Nation Wrestling feed, I have Highway to the Impact Zone uh, talking about uh, TNA Wrestling. Um, and we just did Bound for Glorio 6, and actually, as soon as we get off this, we'll record the next one, so uh, we'll have fun talking about that. All right. Thank y'all for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. Oh, boy. What a swerve here, boys. What a swerve with a very special surprise right smack in the middle of WrestleMania 5. Our surprise, the surprise of all America. Let's go to our ring announcer, Howard Finkel. Here it is, Gorilla, get ready. Get ready. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce an all-time star who is one of television's top commentators and a self-professed major Hollywood star. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesse the Bunny. Oh boy, did he set me up for this one. Take a good look, folks. The body. Jesse, the. I, I am Jess. Yeah, take it easy up there. I wouldn't want you to fall over the railing. It's this capacity crowd is. I am Jess. I'm giving you all the accolades. Saying the whole world loves me. Well, he certainly doesn't have a whole lot of money tied up in wardrobe, I'll tell you that. There's no conceit in the Ventura family. Jesse's got it all. Yeah, it's a terrific surprise. I don't think I can take much more of this. Let's go to Howard Finkel down at ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, live from Hollis, Queens, with the WrestleMania Rock, it's Run DMC! Yeah, we about to get busy, y'all! Y'all wanna rock out there? Why you gonna put your hands in there and try to Come on, let me clap! Come on, everybody! I wanna I wanna tell you this great thing! Come on, WrestleMania! Come on! 
Oh boy, what a surprise. What a surprise of a rap too. I thought that was pretty cool that they got Run DMC to kind of just give us a WrestleMania rap right in the middle of their height, right in the middle of WrestleMania. Overall, really fun, good stuff here. But let's transition right back into some wrestling with the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Title Match. Right now, we're going to take you to his lordship, Alfred Hayes. This 5K run took place I yesterday you, morning. Jess, I gave you all the accolades. Let's go to Alfred. Hello, everybody. We're here on the boardwalk at Atlantic City waiting for one of the events that make up WrestleMania 5. On this lovely day, we have a five-kilometer run, and we're waiting for these entrants to start. And here is a very, very interesting last-minute entry. Jogging up and down, we have Mr. Fuji, who is the manager of the Powers and Pain. Mr. Fuji, come here, tell me. When did you enter this race and why? I entered just now to show off people that Mr. Fuji is in good, superior shape for 5K race. And then I will prove to everybody that my pals up here will be the new world tag team champion. Mr. Fuji, it's a 5K run. Do you think you're going to last this distance? And let me tell you, I will finish the run. I show you this handicap match tomorrow with nothing. Okay, well, we're ready to start. It's going to be very interesting to see how this turns out. On your mark, get set, go. <laughs> He's completing this grueling five-kilometer race. In fact, look at him. He's laboring a little bit. He's having a little difficulty, but he's still looking comparatively fresh. Mr. Fuji, could I, could I get a word with you, please, Mr. Fuji? Yes, 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 Congratulations. Yes, yes. You finished that five-kilometer race. That's a five-kilometer race. And, and you I, proved to everybody here that indeed you are in great shape. The fair shape, I tell you, Lord Hayes. And my father pain is in good shape too. Fantastic. And uh, may and, I say, 
that I was surprised for one. You must have been working out very, very hard for your match. Rigidly. And let me tell you, Demolition, once again, the powers that been and Master Fuji will be the new world tag team champion. Let me tell you. Good luck. We're going to find out very match. shortly if you are in shape. All right, welcome back. And next, with Mean Gene, he's in the back with Demolition. And uh, we get plenty of references that Mr. Fuji is now Fuji the Stooge. And, of course, Smash lets him know that he's going to knock his stinking teeth in, as he was apt to do to any of his upcoming opponents he would make that threat. X lets us know that he'll demolish them and that Mr. Fuji is an overstuffed rat. And... It's about they're on their way to the ring, and for demolition, demolition is kind of like, especially Smash interviews are kind of like when you see wrestling portrayed in an early '90s cartoon. His promo style is very much what they'll you'll get there. A lot of screaming and threats that don't really make a lot of stuff, a lot of sense. And that's kind of I, I'm a big demolition fan. I think they're criminally underrated in WWE lore, seeing what they were in the early, late '80s, but. Yeah, their promos weren't really cutting edge looking back. But they're on their way to take on uh, the Powers of Pain and, of course, the devious Master Fuji. All right, here they are. Axe and Smash, the Demolition Tag Team Champions. Gentlemen, just moments away, the Powers of Pain and Mr. Fuji and your title defense, Smash. That's right, you just said it. Moments away, Fuji Stooge. Look at this. We're in our war gear and we're ready for action. So when you get to that ring, there's only one thing to do. That's knock your stinking teeth in. We're going to make history right here today. The Three Stooges, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready, Warlord, the Barbarian, because food's the Stooge. You can't hide forever. We're going to take care of business. We're going to go right in that ring, and we're going to do what we do best. We demolish people. We're the champions. We're on top of the mountain. And nobody, especially you, you little overstuffed rat, I'm talking about you, Fools the Stooge. You're not going to do anything. We're going to grab you around the neck, squeeze those eyeballs out, and get you right out of the track. All right, the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions on their way for a title defense. Obvious to me, just that Demolition made a very wise decision in letting Fuji be part of this match. He's a lot less dangerous inside the squared circle than on the outside. That Let's go to Howard. Well, this is Tim Slavka for... Cronoso Monthly. Tonight we have WrestleMania 5, and we are doing Fuge the Stooge, Powers of Pain versus Demolition for the WWF Tag Team Championship. Uh, fresh off the Run DMC performance, uh, the crowd's kind of up and down so far to date. Uh, Trump Plaza uh, crowd definitely didn't know what to think of the song. Uh, the audio was not the best of it, so we kind of get a pick-me-up with that. Well, it was supposed to be a pick-me-up with that, and then we go into the first big title match of three. We had highlights from the Survivor Series uh, double turn. It's interesting on the double turn. The first demolition is being cheered. Uh, and then, uh, as they're eliminated, uh, people cheering, they take down. They go, then the crowd goes nuts for them slamming Fuji. So, really kind of uh, weird double turn in Survivor Series. They also show highlights from Saturday Night's main event with Fuji at the beatdown. So, it really looks like Fuji is, is built the power of pain up and ready to take their tag team titles. I would go backstage to an interview segment with Smash. Uh, they got the headgear. They keep talking about Fuji the Stooge. They talk about the Three Stooges multiple times. They're coming up as champions on top of the mountain. Uh, so good promo by them, getting really pumped up. Um, it's still weird that in ring we have the powers of pain. They still have no music. It's just so strange to me. Uh, then 1989, we still have teams without 
without without entrance music. They also go in the ring. Uh, it just makes them seem like jobbers. I really just don't know why at the time when entrance music really got the crowd pumped up, why they wouldn't add more and more entrance musics. Uh, they noticed they're a combined 800 pounds, so a pretty big team for Powers of Pain, Warlord Barbarian, and then you have Mr. Fuji is there as well. Demolition pops huge when their song hits. So again, just weird Powers of Pain have no music. Yeah, Demolition's music is gets the crowd pumped for it. This WrestleMania 5 crowd is, is one of the all-time worst crowds, I think, when you're watching this match and a couple matches surrounding it. Uh, the crowd gets pumped for Demolition. The music's loud. Uh, they really have a. This is supposed to be the marquee match, uh, one of the marquee matches at the beginning part of this card, and the crowd really could care less throughout it. Uh, great stare down as you kind of have the three versus two here in this handicap type match. Uh, so I love the stare down. You got four big guys and kind of Mr. Fuji is an outside guy. Uh, <clears throat> so kind of fun thing that Jesse Ventura brings up. This is the first of three title matches, so really bring up the importance of the night. We got this. We got the IC title match with Rude and Warrior. We got Hogan versus Macho, and the Mega Power is exploding. So really building up this title match. Uh, it's 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 weird that again Donalish also come out in their SM gear at this time. So they are awesome as face. Before we start, uh, you know the the real crux of this match is whether Fuji should be is better outside the ring or inside the ring. Uh, you know, Brill and Vince, uh, Jesse start talking early on about how Mr. Fuji ran the 5K, an all-time uh, funny moment of WrestleMania history that he ran. <laughs> Jesse even brings up that he ran in the talks. Of course, Gorilla Monsoon says he got got a ride during it, but you know, an all-time classic moment. Uh, kind of gives a little comedy to the match. Uh, probably unnecessary for a tag team match, but uh, a f- funny moment in a, a classic WrestleMania spot. Um, so, you know, the, the real commentary of the match is whether Fuji belongs inside the ring. During the whole match, Fuji actually is pretty solid in the ring. Uh, they, they, they bring up, they give him credentials, right, that he's a former tag team champion, that he's, he's held it for a long time. He's been an in-ring a competitor. Uh, he's fought at Madison Square Garden. They really kind of pump him up. They just, Gorilla just kind of puts that, you know, he's past his prime. Just like Gorilla's past his prime, he couldn't go in the ring. He thinks Fuji's past his prime, and he does think Fuji is so devious from the outside. So... I think they do a great job of bringing that up. And Fuji in the ring actually looks very competent. He he does a very... I actually, for a guy... I don't really like Mr. Fuji, but I actually think he does a really good job in ring in this match. Um, again, what's weird of, of the match is that they start with the early heat segment for Demolition. It's kind of the opposite way you think of a WF match as like the hot tag and, uh, you know, set up. And this they don't. Demolition actually takes control for a while. Kind of weird they beat down on the bigger guys. Uh, I, I know that's kind of the way you have to do it, but it's just weird that, that you don't go the other way. I've kind of had the three versus two advantage. They really don't play that up of like, uh, you know, kind of cheating with the extra man in. Uh, but it's an interesting match. Even Jesse call, Ventura calls out the powers of pain from being lethargic and kind of says they dropped the ball at the first WrestleMania. Uh, and Tim Fuji comes in. He's pretty solid. He does one or two hits. So kind of classic of like let him kind of Bobby the Brain. He ended up getting let, let him get the cheap shot while guys down. But he looks more solid than someone like Bobby the Brain here. He doesn't look cowardice. He gives everything he does with authority. So I really like the way Fuji wrestles in this match. Uh, and then you know, Barbarian and Warlord are still a little green in this match. They're kind of they're kind of more power guys than wrestlers at the time. Uh, so you know their their move set's pretty limited at the time. Uh, so we get to near the finish. Uh, Fuji goes up. Uh, the powers of pain finally start taking advantage, and Fuji goes up for the top rope. I think he kind of misses the spot a little bit, but he's gonna go for a leg drop, uh, misses it, and then we kind of get a you know some of the brawling that you kind of expect from this match, and it just took a while for us to get there. And Fuji goes for the th- salt throw, but instead hits his own guy. Uh, and then Demolition do the their, their version of the decapitation device on Mr. Fuji for the victory. 
you know, it's kind of get the one, two, three, huge pop. The crowd is silent for a lot of the match, especially when Demolition's on top in non-heat spots. Uh, but the last two minutes, the crowd kind of comes alive when they finally see that Demolition's about to take it uh, and, re and really kind of win over uh, Mr. Fuji. And definitely when finally when Mr. Fuji gets assault in his face, the, the crowd pops huge for it. And the crowd knows that Demolition's about to win, and they definitely pop huge when... They get the one, two, three. Celebrant ring, of course, Gorilla says he's right the whole time. He knew everything about this. Uh, and Jesse kind of disappointed that his uh, faces, or his, sorry, his heels in the match couldn't put this one over. Uh, okay match. Again, the crowd is, is really rough in this match, I thought, for it being a marquee match, for them pulling out the run DMC to kind of set the crowd up at the time. Uh, really disappointing in what the crowd brought. Um Time of the match was eight eight fifty five uh, overall, so solid match. Uh, you know, kind of good in ring. Fuji did what he needed to do in the ring. I'm not sure that was necessary, but I thought for an in ring manager, this was pretty well done. Uh, you know, props to Mr. Fuji, a guy I don't always give credit to, uh, especially on the new generation era. But I thought they did pretty good here. And Demolition looked strong, as they mentioned, they were the the, the top of the mountain king. They are the kings of the tag team division, and a fun victory for them. Um, and again, my name is Tim Slavka. I'm here every other every other couple of weeks on Cronosa Monthly. And then catch me on the New Gen on Admission podcast with J Justin Pratt on North South Connection. Thanks, everyone, for joining. I'll see you a couple weeks. Appreciate it. Will Tony Schiavone finally catch up with the Macho Man? And will the Macho Man be ready for Hulk Hogan in the main event? Earlier on, Tony Schiavone was trying to catch up with the Macho Man. Now we believe he has finally trapped him. Let's go to him outside the dressing room. We have been attempting all afternoon to talk to the World Wrestling Federation champion, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. He has refused us each time. We're going to try one more time right before this big matchup here today. Get out of here. I told you no interview. Come on, I'll knock you out. Oh, get I'm ready. Bon matin, ladies and gentlemen, as I, Matt Farrell, I'm going to give you a look at the Dino Bravo versus Ronnie Garvin match from WrestleMania 5. The French-Canadian on French-Canadian action here. Usually you have to pay $9.99 a minute for this kind of French-Canadian on French-Canadian action. Uh, Frenchie leads out Dino Bravo to the ring holding up the Quebec flag and Dino comes out trying not to explode from water weight from all the steroid use rugged Ronnie already in the ring getting the Jobert entrance as Fink introduces him and then they both get made to look like Jobbers as now Fink introduces the returning Jimmy Snuka who comes down the stairs of Trump Plaza and heads into the ring and gives the gives off the superfly signal probably calling other uh, Fijian murderers I guess you got a nice moment here as you have a murderer in the ring and a murder victim in the ring and they're separate murders which is nice rugged Ronnie Garvin as far as we know uninvolved in any murders which is good for him uh, Garvin goes to throw his towel in the in the audience, but he pump fakes the fans, and then turns to another direction to throw it. And because he of this m idiocy, which happens after the bell, Garvin gets attacked from behind by 
Dino. Uh, Dino hits a body slam and an elbow drop. Starts pounding the back. Hits some real awkward chops. Uh, puts Garvin in a bear hug for about 10 seconds and then chucks him into the corner. We hit an awful shoulder block. And then Dino goes full Donkey Kong, pounding his chest. I don't know what uh, the French version of Donkey Kong is. Donkey Kong? I don't know. Uh, hits him with another terrible shoulder block. And then goes for the standing on the chest flex pin. It doesn't work. Uh, Jesse and Gorilla are aghast that he would even try and pin Ronnie Garvin in this way. Bravo goes for a pop-up power bomb. And I was hoping this would get hit, but unfortunately, Garvin starts laying fists to the head of Dino, hitting him in his peroxide hair. Um, this is enough for Ryan to think he can go for a pin, goes for a cover, and Bravo powers out of it, just throws him off like he's a cruiserweight. Making Ronnie look silly again. And then he comes off the ropes for a running fist and a splash. Then he takes Bravo over to the corner, starts hitting his head into the turnbuckle. So weak, so weak. It looks terrible. Uh, Hits a rolling cradle for two, which is nice. Ronnie then locks in a sleeper for about three seconds, and Dino just drags him to the ropes. He is not having this. Garvin has to to jump up in the air to just get a little hop there to get Bravo in pile driver position. Bravo's too big, and Garvin can't get him up, so he goes for a sunset flip for two. Garvin begs for adoration of the crowd before he does the corner-mounted punches, and this costs him as he eats a reverse atomic leg drop and then a side slam for Dino to get the clean win here. Um, Garvin looked like an imbecile the entire time when it comes to not going, not turning his back and trying to throw a towel in the crowd and getting attacked or hoping the crowd pumps him up and leading to the finish. He just looks like a complete idiot the entire time. Um, Afterwards, Garvin attacks a celebrating Dino and Frenchie because he is also apparently evil because he lost fair and square. Dino did not one underhanded thing this entire match. Beat him in three minutes, and he attacks them both and then does a Garvin stomp to a defenseless manager um, just not a great showing for Garvin he takes the L looks stupid looks dishonest looks like a bully the crowd is just silent for the stomp you it's they are over it moving on um, so there was your look at Dino Bravo versus Ronnie Garvin the toughest French-on-French-Canadian action since the Lower Canadian Rebellion of 1837 to 1838. Um, And you got to witness it here at WrestleMania V in New Jersey. And if you guys want to see any of my other stuff, I'm available on Twitter, 
at Feral Comedy, spelled like Will Feral, and I have the I write a recap of Velocity and Heats from 2003 to go with Jacob's uh, ruthlessly aggressive podcast. He didn't ask me to do it; I just did it, and he might tell me to stop. I don't know, but otherwise, guys, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of WrestleMania Five. Hey everybody, Kelly Nelson here to talk to you about Strike Force versus the Brain Busters, which would end up being one of the more consequential matches from this show, one of the more memorable matches from the show, because you have like a sea of forgettable matches here, but this one had long-term ramifications. So starting off, my first thought was, wow, this would have been a dream match just a year earlier when Strikeforce were the WWF Tag Team Champions and the Brain Busters back in Crockett were the NWA World Tag Team Champions. So you got two former uh, World Champion Tag Teams here and you have four all-time great workers. Uh, Martel and Satana, two all-time great babyfaces, and uh, Blanchard and Anderson, two all-time great heels. So really, and this would be, I, I'm assuming, the only time these two teams wrestled each other. So a once-in-a-lifetime matchup here, literally. So we have no music for the Brain Busters coming to the ring. This was a time when you had some acts had music, some uh, didn't. I'm assuming the Brain Busters never had music in the WWF. I could be wrong, but I, I'm going to guess that they didn't. Strike Force, of course, comes out to Girls in Cars from 1987's A Pile Driver, the wrestling album, too. Um, fun music for them. This is their first match together as a team since the previous summer when they did an angle where Martel was injured by demolition taking the uh, demolition decapitation on the outside of the ring. And they uh, they said he had a neck injury from that, but I believe that was worked. Well, obviously he didn't get hurt doing that, but I don't believe Martel was actually injured um, at all in any way. I think he had to take time off the road to go take care of his wife who uh, was sick at the time. So that was the end of uh, Strike Force at that point. Martel returned um, not too long before this. And this was, I, I, I didn't check. I should have. I wanted to, actually, I should have checked to see if they had teamed up uh, prior to WrestleMania Five on any house shows, Strike Force. But anyway, this would be their return. And this would be the end of them, as we'll get to. So... This match has is, is worked kind of strangely, especially at first. Um, things go pretty fast. It seems like they're rushing through a bunch of a bunch of stuff in this. Um, it's just kind of disjointed at first. Um, the brain busters, the heels are cheating within the first minute of the match, which was I had to chuckle at that. Um, just great heels. And yeah, there's just like no real time for a build or slow build to anything in this match. And the psychology isn't, is kind of lacking. Uh, the crowd is mostly dead, of course, uh, which was a theme for the whole show and had been a theme at the previous years, 
uh, WrestleMania at the same venue here in La- Atlantic City. Just no heat. Um, so, yeah, things are going pretty fast. Like I said, we get a dueling figure four spot with uh, both Santana, who uh, the figure four for him was sort of his backup finisher, which was a holdover from his feud with Greg the Hammer Valentine. And uh, Rick Martel does the figure four too, which was rare for him. Uh, but even this doesn't really pop the crowd. Uh, we, you know, a spot like that should have uh, popped the crowd if this was a, a like a, a real wrestling arena and not this, you know, phony crowd full of uh, people with comp tickets and just the acoustics were just really poor too. Um, but then things uh, heat up, things change things get interesting when uh, tito santana accidentally smokes absolutely smokes martel with his flying forearm uh tully ducks martel takes the brunt of it and is sent careening to the outside and uh at this moment if he didn't know a, a turn was coming this this made it pretty obvious when you have a spot like that where the baby faces miscommunicate you're gonna get a turn um Throughout this, I got to mention uh, Jesse Ventura on commentary putting over the Brain Busters huge in a way that you could tell, like with uh, Rick Rude, with Randy Savage, he he personally uh, loved their work. And, you know, he you know, he would always uh, praise the workers that he really loved, and uh, Brain Busters get a ton of praise here. They were still relatively new at this time, and uh, they were different, right? They were not your usual WWF tag team WWF act and that they were uh, serious you know quote unquote you know kind of real wrestlers and they had the background coming from Crockett being part of the Four Horsemen being with Ric Flair and all that but uh, they they were they fit right in actually and this was such a golden age for tag teams in the WWF you had, they had so many um, potential uh, partners to take on in the ring so yeah they, they had a good run here and now we have uh, Martel on the outside selling the, the flying forearm for quite a while. Tito's in the ring for a long time here. Can't get out. When he finally gets to the corner to ask for a tag, Martel refuses to tag in. And now this crowd that had been dead finally starts coming alive here with booze uh, for Martel and the way he's behaving. And then uh, Martel eventually just walks away. And we actually start, we get good heat here for the turn uh, where you can feel the crowd, you know, actually being uh, angry with what's what's happening before their eyes. You know, Martel betraying his partner. This was rare back then. You didn't have a ton of uh, face turn or heels or faces turning heel, I should say, um, or vice versa. This was at a time when you would get that, you know, once a year, maybe. Yeah, so it really had a lot of impact when you had a babyface turn to the dark side, and you know Martel walks to the back, and you can feel a buzz in the crowd for for quite a few minutes afterwards. You know where the the crowd is realizing what they just witnessed. You know one of the good guys turning evil, and so that I found that quite interesting. That really makes up for what had been, you know, kind of a weird start to the match with no heat. But now, um, with the heel turn, uh, you got something going here. We get a big spine buster from Arn on Tito, 
love to see that. The heels, you know, it's funny. They they have a two on one advantage, but they're still cheating uh, to, to get over on on Tito here, which is great. Even with the advantage, they still have to cheat. And then, um, you know, Tito has a brief flurry, but he's just, you know, the numbers game as as Michael Cole in, in uh, present day WWE, or at least the last time I watched, uh, would uh, use as a cliche, but it's true here. The numbers game does take over. We get the massive spike, spike pile driver from the Brain Busters, which was their finisher. Another move I've always loved. Um, yeah, great stuff. Not much of a match, really. It just was a shade under 10 minutes, but it was a great angle. There was a great angle in this, of course. Like I said at the top, long-term ramifications from this with Martel turning heel eventually becomes the model Rick Martel, a character I've always loved. You know, he slowly kind of evolves into that with adding the the jacket and the the perfume, arrogance, and the I am a model uh, button and all that. And he, he totally gave up his, his baby face moveset. And that's why a lot of people aren't a big fan of of uh, Rick the Model Martel because you don't get the great matches, quote-unquote great matches, um, with Martel as a heel because he deliberately wrestles in such a cowardly you know, scumbag way. But I love the character, the heel character. It really uh, rejuvenated his career at this point. Having the French accent helped to um, make him more of a natural heel in uh, in the States. Anyway, so this match at least got over Martel as a piece of crap uh, heel for turning on Tito, which was the main objective, of course. And it also got over the Brain Busters as a ruthless up-and-coming team. They would move on post-WrestleMania five to challenge for the tag team straps. And, of course, in the summer, they would win the tag team straps. So one last thing I have to note about Trump Plaza here, the venue for WrestleMania five and four, of course. And it really was, for Strike Force. it was a cursed venue. You know, at WrestleMania 4, they came in as the tag team champions and they lost to Demolition. So you had that. And then one year later, you get the team breaking up, dissolving. So two matches at Trump Plaza for Strike Force and both turned into nightmare scenarios for that team. And also the Brain Busters are involved in another face team breakup in less than a year. When they were in Crockett in 1988, they were involved in the Lex Luger and Barry Windham team falling apart during a match with uh, with them involved, and then led to Windham joining the Four Horsemen, of course. So, yeah, the Brain Busters are uh, so you know so, such a evil team that they their their you know their evilness spreads to other wrestlers and infects other wrestlers. And it infected both Rick Martel and Barry Windham in less than a year. So that's all I got. Enjoy the rest of the show, everybody. Take care. Peace. Right now, let's go to Mean Gene, who's with Martel. All right. Right after this match with Strike Force and the Brain Busters, Mean Gene is in the back with Rick Martel. And Gene is aghast at what has happened. He wants to know how he could leave his partner high and dry like that. And Martel 
says that he's sick and tired of carrying Tito around. He's uncoordinated. You see, he just hit him with the flying burrito. And Martel said he was doing a great job as a single star. But then Mr. Tito wanted to get back together and reform Strike Force. And Tito dropped the ball again in this match. And of course, Rick Martel does not want to be associated with a loser like Tito Santana. And he should be. He says that Tito should be happy that Rick Martel is such a gentleman because it could have been a lot worse for him. And that pretty much completes the heel turn for Rick Martel, I would say. Rick Martel, what kind of an explanation do you have for your actions out there? You left Tito Santana high and dry. You walked away from your tag team partner. Well, as far as I'm concerned, he just got what he deserved. You know, I'm I'm sick and tired of him. You know, I'm sick and tired of carrying him around. You know, I was doing great when I was uh, since I've been coming to WWF as a single wrestler. But no, Mr. Tito wants to ride my coattail once more. Ooh. But I'm sick and tired of him. I've been carrying him around for too long already. Wait a minute, Rick Martel, you're out of line. Strike Force was supposed to be a team, a team. I don't want to be associated with that guy. He's a loser. You saw his timing was way off. You're lucky that I'm being a gentleman that I am. I just walked off. I could have been a lot worse for you, Tino Santana. I think we've heard I'm enough. Tired. I'm Let's fed go up back you. to you, Gorilla. Wow, I find that very hard to believe, Jess. I can't believe, number one, that he walked out of there, and number two, that he said some of the things he just said. Well, apparently there was a lot of underlying problems, Gorilla. Stuff that wasn't out on the surface between Strike Force. And I got the sense that Martel never was too keyed about this tag team. I think it was Chico pushing for it. Oh, I don't think I don't think that's the case at all. But nevertheless. What's up, NoSo Nation? My name is Richie Mars from the podcast Retold and Relived with Richie Mars. And also on the TikTok channel, Retold Richie Mars, where I give current takes of today's WWE and professional wrestling in general. But that's for another time. We are talking about WrestleMania 5, and the segment that I got was Piper's Pit with Roddy Piper, Brother Love, and Morton Downey Jr. So the build to this I didn't really see because I wasn't alive back then. I'm sorry if I made any of you feel old. But it was a concept of three of the most shocking personalities in wrestling and in entertainment overall and this is their classic celebrity uh segment which is what wrestlemania was known for and since this was the fifth one you gotta still keep rolling with that tradition and Morton downey jr from what i researched was a shock jock kind of guy when it comes to uh daytime television like a very shocking a very jerry springer-esque personality then you had brother love who was in WWE with the I love you character, and he just loves everyone. And he comes out first. They play Roddy, Rowdy, 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 easy for me to say, Rowdy, Roddy Piper's music, and out comes Brother Love with the kilt, and he is playing up the fact that he is the best talk show host in wrestling history and wwe history wwf whatever you want to say and then gives the intro to morton downey jr morton downey jr comes out makes a comment of brother loves kilt and calls it a skirt says he doesn't want to find out anything about brother love if he's wearing a, a skirt which didn't really age well in today's day and age but 
That's not what we're here for. We're not here for brother love. We're not here for Morton Downey Jr. We're here for the man of the hour, the man himself, Rowdy, Roddy Piper. Successful off his run in Hollywood. I believe They Live came out about a year or two before this or was about to come out. He comes out. And he was essentially the first Hollywood celebrity that from wrestling that crossed over into Hollywood. You know, you get a lot of comments today, you know, with The Rock, with John Cena, about wrestlers going into Hollywood and making a successful career out of it. Roddy Piper was probably the first to do that and make like a little bit of a blueprint that he wasn't in the stereotypical muscle head roles, you know. He wasn't... Again, Roddy Piper wasn't a big guy, but it wasn't like Hulk Hogan where his movies were very obviously tailored towards the personality of Hulk Hogan, like Santa with Muscles or Mr. Nanny, you know, this big guy, you know, like a, I call it like the Vin Diesel syndrome where it's like everyone who's an action star has to do at least one like horrible like children's movie. Debatably, you know, Vin Diesel did The Pacifier, Rock did Tooth Fairy, Schwarzenegger did Kindergarten Cop, though I hear that movie's pretty good, so I'll check that out. I won't put that in the bad court category yet, because I haven't seen it yet. But, what am I doing here talking about wrestlers and movies and stuff? This is Roddy Piper coming back to WWE. He is a tremendous fan favorite, and now we have these three shocking personalities in the ring at this time. So now, Rowdy Roddy Piper takes the mic and he's dressing down Brother Love, saying that he has those Betty Davis knees, those pale knees. You know, Brother Love, he's just like, the face is all red. And then you see Brother Love with the mullet, sweet mullet, by the way. Good job, Bruce Pritchard. You should probably bring that back. We should bring the mullet back, at least that style. Roddy Piper asks Brother Love some questions, and then Brother Love, every time he begins to answer, every time Roddy Piper puts the mic to his face, Roddy Piper pulls back and he's like, oh yes, I don't care. You know, and Roddy Piper dresses down what he's seen on television of Brother Love thus far about being a shocking personality and such, but Roddy Piper then says like, hey, there's only one OG and that's Roddy Piper, and he said... Yeah, you know, you call yourself Brother Love. Does that mean you don't like the fight? And Brother Love confirms this because his name's Brother Love, not Brother Fight. So Roddy Piper finally backs him into the corner while Brother Love is pleading. He's pleading for Roddy Piper to not harm Brother Love. But Roddy Piper says, oh, okay, okay, I won't do that. And then, whoosh, tears off the kilt of one Brother Love. And Brother Love is kiltless you just see he's exposed with his underoos and he runs all the way to the back and i actually like this setup for wrestlemania it was kind of like a, a staircase like setup so it wasn't like a traditional ramp it was like you have to go down like a staircase i, I don't know i just thought that was a pretty cool visual and then roddy piper turns to morton downey jr and morton downey jr he's just smoking his cigarettes at this point they, they gave him an ashtray <laughs> to be in front of his stool and he's just smoking these cigarettes. And at one point, even before, this is going back to the Roddy Piper uh, Brother Love segment, uh, he flicked a cigarette, an unlit cigarette at Roddy Piper and, or 
either Piper or Brother Love, and it just like landed on their shoulder. I don't know. I thought that was pretty funny. So Roddy Piper starts interviewing Morton Downey Jr. And Morton Downey Jr. is just smoking these cigarettes, smoking these cigarettes, and blowing smoke in the face of Roddy Piper. And Piper said, you know, you should probably not do that. And Morton Downey Jr. is like, all right, it's good for you. You'll live a long time. You see, you could be as, as young as me, you know. And Roddy Piper, he's trying to conduct the interview. He's trying to conduct the interview. And by the fourth time, Morton Downey Jr. blows the smoke in the face, and Piper goes, You know, that is about the uh, fourth time you blew smoke in my face, and I'm not sure if I appreciate it that much. And Morton Downey Jr. is like, like aloof about it, and Piper's like, You know what? I got it. I got it. You know, it has that, uh, I forgot what term you use. It was like, it gives you that, that goat life. Piper, I think, is like, when when his improv hits, it hits. I'm not sure if it hit, but I was entertained by it, so it, it's all it's all fine with me. So Roddy Piper picks up one of the stools. There's a big fire extinguisher. Morton Downey Jr. is playing to the crowd, just raucous. And then you hear the famous line, "Yo, Mr. Downey!" And then Piper pulls the trigger on the fire extinguisher and blows on. Morton Downey Jr., he takes a great bump. Piper is just smoking on there, just like just spraying Morton Downey Jr. as his music plays. Big WrestleMania celebration for Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now, will this go into famous um, wrestling talk show segment Hall of Fame, hypothetically? I would say the ending probably saved it. If the like the segment was bad, it wasn't bad. It was just kind of there, and you would see the things that replayed the most when they cover like WrestleMania or segments of WrestleMania. This is the one that usually comes to mind. It's the Yo, Mister Downey, and then Piper sprays every uh, Downey with the fire extinguisher, and it really was pretty cool at this time, and really odd because Piper was quote unquote retired at this point. And he still looks fine. He looks fairly young. Um, I would say he would still be able to do like a big babyface run if they really wanted to, him to. But again, WWF at that time, they didn't really see somebody at Piper's level as champion because one, he was a heel during that time. And this time here, they probably thought he was over the hill and past his prime, which is hilarious in hindsight because we have part-timers coming back all the time who are probably... 10 years older than Piper was here in this segment. But overall, I had fun with this segment. Uh, celebrity involvement in WrestleMania can be hit or miss. Uh, this one, I would put in the middle category when it comes to WrestleMania celebrity appearances, just because we've had a bunch since then, and I think uh, this definitely drew the appeal for WrestleMania and a cr like a crossover of sorts of between the shock television world and WWF television to try to promote the most controversial figures of all time. And then you had Piper, Brother Love claiming to be controversial, and Morton Downey Jr., of course, he was very controversial in the television world. So I think this segment did its job tremendously. It gave a crowd a break from the in-ring action, and it gave everyone something to talk about the next day concerning the segment being the fire extinguisher spot. And overall, I recommend it, and 
Thank you so much, No So Nation, for letting me hear. Of course, like I said in the beginning, you could follow me on the Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Retold Richie Mars. New episodes of Wrestling Retold and Relived with Richie Mars every Tuesday. I'll see you guys next time and enjoy the rest of the podcast. And welcome back. First, we go to Gorilla Monsoon, who throws it to Sean Mooney. And Sean Mooney is with the illustrious Mr. Donald J. Trump. Of course, the event being held at Trump Plaza for the second year in a row. The only time it's been held at the same arena twice in a row. And I think the main reason for that was that it was basically a paid show by the casinos. And I remember reading once that WrestleMania 4 made, even though it was about, well, the attendance for WrestleMania 3 is in question, but let's say at least 50,000, probably 60,000 less than paid attendance. The attendance, the gate was about equal because they were able to jack up the prices so high for the casino. And that's why they got it two years in a row. But anyways, Donald Trump, at this time, you know, he's just kind of a weird media real estate guy, the czar of Atlantic City, I would say, you know. And he he's looking fit, looking trim, about 6'3", 215 pounds if I had to, you know, ballpark it. And, you know, Sean Mooney asked him about how successful this has been. And Donald Trump says it's a great success for the Trump organization. Uh, people have come from miles away, lots of traffic, which Donald Trump likes, of course. And Sean Mooney asked him how the casinos are doing, and Trump says that the casinos and the city has been packed. Sean Mooney admits that he lost some money, and Donald Trump says, I hope so. He may have seen the light. He may turn into a bleeding heart liberal, right, Gorilla? Anything is possible. What does he call him, pablum puking? I'm uh, joining Donald J. Trump, the illustrious Donald Trump, and... Uh, Mr. Trump, this is the second WrestleMania you have hosted in a row. Can you give us some idea what an event of this magnitude means not only to Atlantic City, but to the Trump Organization? Well, it's brought people from, from thousands of miles away. It's been fantastic. It's been unbelievable. The traffic, the numbers of people. We're really honored to be here and honored that you folks joined us. It's a great honor. Well, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, week with us. Uh, I want to ask you this, though. Is, uh, have the casinos been busy? They are packed. The whole town is packed. It's been a real boom to the town. It's been just a great thing and an unbelievable event. Everybody's excited. We're all enjoying ourselves. Well, and thank uh, you. I know I'm going to leave a, a few dollars in Atlantic City. Well, I hope so. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us. Uh, while the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan still have to worry about uh, winning, it appears that Donald J. Trump, Donald J. Trump already has. Now, uh, there are winners here as well. This capacity crowd thus far has gotten more than there's money's worth. Right now, let's go back to you, Gorilla. Thank you. Thank you. And from there, on the Peacock version, we go straight to Gorilla Monsoon welcoming us back from the No Holds Barred trailer. So I think that gets cut out on the Peacock version. Um, but we do imagine that you see that, and then we come back, and Jesse is very upset. Jesse wearing a gold sequin bandana that reads Jesse and rhinestones is quite the uh, fashion sense. And, of course, while wearing a white leather fringe jacket. Jesse Ventura is not happy at all. They do an extreme close-up on him as he's yelling. He knows that Hogan's only trying to invade Hollywood because he knows after tonight he'll be out of a job when he loses to Macho Man. Although he does offer him a job to be uh, his driver. 
And then he storms off. And then Gorilla explains that that it's just as simple as Hulk went out to Hollywood and tried to make a movie. And claims it's very unprofessional for Jesse to storm off. And Jesse comes back and says he is a professional, but he's had enough of this. And then we go to the story of the Mega Powers. And we get the whole, well, we get the main highlights. We get WrestleMania four. SummerSlam, Survivor Series, each time, you know, Hulk getting a little handsier each time with Elizabeth versus just helping picking her up and then he's giving her hugs while Randy Savage is out of it. And then we see the two uh, singles matches they have with the Twin Towers in January where Randy Savage is having his match and Hulk Hogan comes out and cleans house for no reason. And then we see where Hulk Hogan is having his match, and Randy Savage rightfully stays in the back. You know, he's Hulk Hogan. He can handle it himself. And then only when the big boss man touches Elizabeth does Randy Savage come out and cleans house. And then we go to the main event where Hulk Hogan leaves his tag team partner alone to be attacked by two 400-pound men, which is not a good partner, not a good friend. Then further prove his friendship, he picks up Elizabeth, drags her to the out drags her to the back, pulls her, or carries her to the back, which is even worse. And then as Elizabeth is half unconscious, he keeps telling her it wasn't Randy's fault. It was an accident. He didn't mean to do it. Well, of course, no one thought it was his fault. What are you talking about? Akeem clearly rifled Savage out of the ring very quickly. No one was thinking that it's Randy's fault. You're just trying to plant that in her head, Hulk. And Randy Savage is rightfully pissed at this and blasts Hulk Hogan with the title belt. And unfortunately, we don't get the deep build-up here where we see Hulk, Randy Savage showing all the different video footage and uh, the slow-motion shots of Hulk Hogan, you know, touching Elizabeth's butt all the time, hugging her, and coming, really, you know, being the... Stabbing, Hulk, stabbing Randy Savage in the back by trying to be his... Randy Savage is trying to be Hulk Hogan's friend, which at this point, really... It's a bad track record. It doesn't work. I mean, you could see the the number of people that have tried to be it, and it always doesn't work out for them. So then we go to Hulk Hogan with Mean Gene, and this is a nice look for Hogan. He's got the bandana on, but no shirt. Got the, of course, the crucifixes showing, and Mean Gene quickly runs it down. A year ago, you know, they were teammates, and here they are today. And Hulk Hogan says they were best of friends, but you know, it was. Randy Savage's jealousy that was always eating at him. And then he has to has to add in that the mania was always a little ahead of the madness. It's like, screw you, Hulk. You weren't even there for four months. What do you know? And he thought that Macho believed in the demandments, but it was all a lie. It was his lust for Elizabeth that broke them up, and that doesn't make any sense. His, Elizabeth's his girlfriend. You're the one coming in on him. And Mean Gene says he went as far as to attack the Hulkamaniacs. I don't know what that means. Like, did he badmouth them? I didn't. I don't remember the rest, the challenge where Randy Savage starts beating up fans wearing Hulk Hogan shirts, but whatever. And Savage, Hulk says that it ate away at Hogan at Savage that he couldn't be the man that Hulk's fans wanted him to be, and I that's it's ridiculous, and that he's Hulk claims that. Savage put Elizabeth between them. And again, I don't know how that's possible. From there, he goes into his great WrestleMania uh, promo. And I got it confused for a second because uh, 
again, he talks about Donald Trump, seismologist, and the Trump Plaza. But I guess now it's okay because he's not slamming a stinky giant because he knows that the Hulkamaniacs will be okay. They'll survive. And what you're going to do, Randy Savage, yada, yada, yada. Get that Hulk. No holds barred. Holy mackerel. Jesse, I believe the Hulkster's invading your territory. How dare him step into Hollywood, Gorilla Monsoon? Let me tell you something, Hulk Hogan. Hollywood is my domain, but I can see why you're doing it. You're doing it, Hogan, because you're going to lose to the Macho Man. And when you lose to him, you're going to have no job, Hulk Hogan. So you're going to have to come out to Hollywood, try to invade my territory. It ain't big enough for the both of us, Hogan. But if you want to come out, I'll give Hogan a job in Hollywood. He can drive my limo. Really out of shape, Jesse the Body Ventura, talking about people infringing on his territory. Merely the Hulkster's just gone out and made a movie. The name of it, No Holes Barred. Boy, we've seen plenty of action so far here in WrestleMania 5. Of course, Demolition retaining their World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship belts and did it in a really good fashion, putting away Mr. Fuji. Uh, you're having second thoughts? It was very unprofessional of you, Jess, to just storm out of here like that. I'm a professional monsoon. They're paying me big money to be here. I'll learn it, and don't you give me no hard time. I've had enough for now. Well, perhaps the body's going to stay with us. Perhaps he's not. Right now, let's take a look at the, how the Mega Powers began right here in Atlantic City, WrestleMania 4. The Hulkster helped the Macho Man get the title. Hey, the only thing I can say, what a difference a year makes. A year ago at this time at WrestleMania 4, you were at the side of the Macho Man when he became the undisputed World Wrestling Federation champ. One year later, here in Atlantic City, you're going to be challenging this very same man for the world crown. Well, you know, you're exactly right, Mean Gene. One year ago, brother, me and the Macho Man were as one. We were best of friends. We would do anything to win together, brother. And if you would have told me one year later, right in the very same place that it started, in the Trump Plaza, that we'd be locking horns, going head on head for the WWF championship, I'd have called you a liar, Mean Gene. But you know something? I should have seen this thing coming, man. As the mega power team was formed, brother, as the summer slams, as the Survivor Series went down, as the mega power started growing together, the mania was a little bit ahead of the madness, man. But it really didn't matter. You were either in or you were either out, brother. You either believed or you didn't, man. And you were either ready or you weren't. The macho man made me feel that he believed in the three demandments of the prayers, the training, and the vitamins. He made me believe that he was in my corner, Mean Gene. And he also made me believe that he was ready to fight all odds. That's why I stuck with him, brother. That's why we stayed together so long. You know, as that relationship oh. of the mega powers deteriorated even further, Macho Man Randy Savage went so far as to attack your Hulkamaniac. Oh, yeah, he did more than just attack the Hulkamaniacs, brother. He went so far as to put our manager, the lovely Elizabeth, right between us, man. It was him that was eaten alive by the jealousy. It was him that was eaten alive by the lust, brother. It was a simple fact that the Macho Man couldn't be the man that all my Hulkamaniacs wanted him to be, brother. He couldn't handle the load. He couldn't handle the pressure. But what really 
really tore us apart was the way he was so jealous of Hulkamania, the way he put Elizabeth between us, the way he manipulated her, the way he twisted this whole beautiful thing around. But I found out one thing, Macho Man. You're not a believer in the commandments, mother. Brother, you're a cheap shot artist. You take whatever you can get as quick as you want. You were never in my corner. You were always on the outside waiting for me to make the first move. But just like Donald Trump, Macho Man, I hope you're ready, brother, because Donald Trump has questions in his own mind. He sent a whole team of seismologists out here to check the foundation of the Trump Towers because when the mega powers explode off the launching pad, brother, as we erupt over the whole Atlantic City, he was worried about the foundation. He was worried that the thousands of people in the arenas might become unseated and swallowed by the earth. Donald Trump, don't worry about my Hulkamaniacs. They're survivors. They're ready. But you, macho man, I don't care where you stand. I don't care what you believe in. All I want from you is your best. I want you to be ready. I want the macho madness to be at its peak. Because when Hulkamania rules, when Hulkamania lives forever, when Hulkamania puts you down on your knees, I want the whole world to realize that I beat you at your best. And at the end of WrestleMania 5, I will be the World Wrestling Federation Champion. And what you gonna do, macho man, when the whole world full of Hulkamaniacs destroy you? Talk about determination. You saw it there in the eyes of the Hulkster. Well, he better be determined, Gorilla, because he is the challenger. He is the challenger indeed, but uh, history has been made before. After those words from Hulk Hogan, we will have a match involving his greatest rival of all time, Andre the Giant. Andre versus Jake the Snake Roberts with special guest referee, Big John Studd. It is totally unfair that John Studd is the referee here. He did not need to be there. There's no necessary enforcement that needs to happen. Andre has not been attacking Jake or anything like that where they need a big enforcer. Actually, it's the opposite. Jake has been tormenting this man, this poor giant, with this fucking snake forever, for months and it's just complete bullshit uh, stud also has a vendetta against andre andre whooped his ass in mania one andre whooped his ass in mania two along with 18 other dudes so the deck is already stacked against andre uh, stud is out to minimal applause to start the match and of course jesse gorilla have to debate the girth and weight of big john stud and they want to weigh him on a meat slab uh, that's just par for the course uh, for the weight obsessed gorilla and jesse andre comes out no music to just a chorus of booze and i think that it's not recognized enough of what an all-time entrance Andre had at this moment. He was so hated and despised. No music could soundtrack what he is like. Be it a great classical piece like Ride of the Valkyries or maybe some Black Sabbath, but nothing has the weight that Andre's presence and being booed has. So perfect all-time entrance. As Andre's walking down the ring, he's got his hand on Bobby's shoulder. And it's a really interesting way to look at it because that is what you do to a friend. This is his closest confidant. This is the only person he has in his life since Hogan turned his back on him and the fans turned their back on him and all the good guys in WWE turned their back on him. No one's helping him as this man is tormenting him with a snake after he has a heart attack. We talk 
talk about Hogan. When when Hogan was injured, we had wetter writing campaigns. Andre almost dies of a heart attack in the ring. Where's his wetter writing campaign? I love him with his hand on Bobby because it really shows you the closeness that these two men had. We get a great moment when you see Andre. The camera is facing up at him. That is typical of Andre. But behind him is the WrestleMania sign. It is not illuminated in any way, so you could tell, you know, this is 90, this is 89. Things weren't as meticulously planned as they are now, but you could see the genesis of the obsession with the WrestleMania sign, and framing it in that way was really cool. The pre- presentation of Andre is uh, always amazing and done very well. You even see him from behind walking to the ring, which is a really cool shot. It almost makes the ring look small compared to Andre's giant back. This is something like that they would uh, do with uh, Mark Henry in future years. Aaron George's most hated wrestler of all time. Bobby's very emotionless heading to the ring for this because it's a dire thing. Like, his friend almost died because of this man throwing snakes at him, and now he's having a match with this guy. So, of course, Bobby's going to be a little reticent on his way to the ring. Andre's a little pensive as he goes towards the ring. I mean, he's got one of his biggest rivals of all time as the referee and everything I said before. So, you can see a little pensiveness. As Andre gets into the ring, you could see that he almost postures a casualness. The way he kicks his feet out when he walks kind of is his way of saying, All right, stud motherfucker, you might be big, but you don't scare me. He even goes as far to point his finger in stud's face and say don't fuck around in this match which is great and it's really wild to see a guy whose name is big john stud and you know how big john stud is <laughs> you know how big big john stud is double adjective there but he is tiny compared to andre this is why andre is the greatest of all time love seeing those the comparisons to these giant men you never even realized that hulk hogan was six foot fucking eight because he's when he was fighting andre right it's crazy studs really playing up his uh, authority here bobby says something to stud and jake makes his way down the stairs from the other end of the arena you could kind of see you just notice a little bit andre is super casual this is something i did not notice the first few times i ever watched this match i always assumed bobby did the thing that we're about to see but you see Andre's left hand. He's kind of leaning against the ropes. John Studd's looking towards Jake coming down the aisle. You see him kind of grab the turnbuckle pad. Why? I don't know. As Jake walks down the aisle, we cut. You notice now that I know in retrospect, if you look, the turnbuckle pad is missing here. As Jake is walking down the ring, fans are just grabbing his hair and he looks fucking pissed already. I mean, no one seems happy in this fucking match. He seems pissed off already. It does not help that fans are just pulling his hair and smacking him. I always hate these tiny entrance ways. He takes a snake, throws it in the corner of the ring and as he enters, Andre is just kind of talking to Big John Stud and Andre attacks Jake really quickly, grabs him by the back of the head and slams his face into the exposed turnbuckle. Jake grabs his eye and kind of goes fetal almost as he's hanging on the top rope this is instant and then andre with a big punch and my favorite thing in the world andre the giant chops andre the giant chops are the best chops ever you could woo all you want his chops are so powerful you know how debilitating they could be and they serve a bigger purpose rick floyd gets in close for a chop andre uses his chop to keep the distance from his opponent andre's big a small opponent can get in close and kind of grab onto him and grab his leg and fuck around with him but when he uses those big chops it establishes distance and keeps guys away love him love it once again i say little guy jake the snake roberts is a fucking giant man against andre he just looks like a normal dude andre grabs a big chin lock on jake jake throws a couple elbows into andre that he registers but they don't really do too much to him he's leaning against the ropes a little bit you almost think he's going to do his andre crucifixion but he doesn't throws a chop at jake jake absorbs it but then kind of runs towards damien andre sees this and andre moves faster than i think i've ever seen him move before because he grabs jake from behind to keep the snake from 
from entering the ring. Andre puts a big chin lock on Jake from behind. Jake pulls Andre's hair in a desperation move. Like, Jake is that desperate already that he's pulling hair. Jake peppers Andre with some big punches to the gut. And, of course, Andre levels him with an overhand right. The big overhand rights by Andre. Jake is so rocked also. He just throws a haymaker, totally misses, catches nothing but air. Great shit. Andre with overhand slaps to Jake's chest. And Jake is getting nothing. Jake is stumbling around. He falls into the corner. Andre takes his body. And sometimes you'll see Andre take his hands on the top ropes and throw his uh, back, butt, and uh, thighs and hips into his opponent. What happens here is uh, Jake is in the corner and Andre, his hands are straight at his side. So he kind of just leans back. He literally just looks like a dude leaning against the playground wall. And Big John Stud comes over to kind of admonish him, get in his face. And Andre is so casual with such a shit-eating smirk on his face. I love it. Andre's acting is always incredible. I think it's really cool and appropriate and ironic, maybe. I don't know the word. That Andre's visage eventually got used for those uh, Shepherd Fairy Obey pictures, the image that you've seen. Everyone has seen it. And it's supposed to be an anti-Big Brother message, an anti-authority message. And when you see Andre with that look on his face that you see here, he has that to a T. He is very punk rock. He is very good at saying, fuck you. Don't tell me what to do. Fuck you, Big Brother. Fuck you. You know, like, it's so great. He fucking rules, man. He's getting a couple counts from Big John Stud, and Andre pops out to break the count, gets in Stud's face, smirks. This is a giant smirking at you. Nothing good could happen. Crushes Jake a little bit. He doesn't really destroy Jake in the corner, but just beautiful sign of disrespect to Jake and to Big John Stud. He turns around and just starts choking the shit out of Jake. Two hands, maniacal Andre smile. Andre is relentless choking the shit out of Jake. Jake is grasping at Stud's shirt. It's great. And then Andre decides, I'll give him a slap to the chest and I'll bounce off. Andre goes over and confers with Bobby because you know, you gotta confer with Bobby. If you got a guy named The Brain, you gotta ask him what's up. Jake is on the ground as Andre approaches and Andre just kind of squishes him with a sit, sit down sit move. And uh, Jake is feeling it on his chest. Another great Andre moment. Just stand on Jake's chest in the corner. We're looking at Andre from an up angle. We see Bobby in the shot. Andre smiling at Bobby. Grabs Jake by the throat, overhand chop, but then Jake gets a slap that kind of rocks Andre a little bit. Kind of got him in the throat there. Then Jake with two big boots to the chest, and then he just starts working Andre's gut, and then he nails Andre with a big running clothesline. Once again, Jake's a big guy. Jake nails Andre. He falls backwards, and Andre is crucified in the ropes. The ultimate move, a move you will see guys get Andre in a lot and when he's in there the most uh, common thing is to choke him because he's already having problems when you're crucified I've said it before that is how you die from crucifixion from suffocation you're going to choke a guy on top of that and Andre's help was here Andre's turning you could see in the background he's saying that Bobby to help him and you see the snake framed perfectly as Jake is maybe going up to grab it and if Andre's stuck here and Jake grabs that snake this could be death for this man Jake is punching Andre in the face here. You see him. He almost breaks his hand. Uh, Sandman's one of the few guys who really sells. And Sabu are some of the guys that really sell their hand hurting from punching someone. Especially a, bro- a giant block fucking of granite skull like Andre. And one of the most sudden cool things I've seen in an Andre match, Andre is able to get his arm out as Jake is approaching to maybe choke him or punch him again. And so fast, Andre just grabs Jake with one hand in the throat and just pulls his body over Andre's chest, completely incapacitating Jake. All the momentum Jake had is gone with this one swift, sudden move. Incredible shit here. Andre knocks the shit out of him and Jake is down now. Andre's shaking off the pain. We get another great framing of Damien in the foreground with Andre stalking Jake in the back. Andre with a big kick to Jake's chest that I love seeing. You don't see him do stuff like just a straight kick. Oof. 
kind of like a maybe Volkan or someone like that would have done that, or a Kawada kick. Then you get Andre. If a guy's kneeling in front of Andre with his back to Andre, Andre's going to walk up. He's going to squeeze them traps, and he's going to choke the fucking shit out of you. So love to see that always and when he and when if you're gonna stand up in front of andre well he's got you in that move what's gonna happen the biggest fucking head to ever be in wrestling is gonna give you a headbutt right to the goddamn back of your neck back of your head andre gives it to jake jake is fucking wrecked big overhand rights andre stalks jake in the corner choking him bobby's there to confer make sure everything's going good overhand slaps by andre so andre starts shoulder blocking jake in the corner this is the same corner that has the missing turnbuckle right all for all the good camera work we've gotten in this match this one doesn't quite catch what happens but i don't know if jake catches andre with a knee lift or he pokes him in the eye or something but andre is staggered the the announcers don't really even know what the hell happened but andre is fucking rocked he's grimacing in pain wincing jake uses a huge knee lift a big mr wrestling knee lift that destroys andre big left hand fucking jabs punches and what happens next handful of andre's beautiful curly hair smashing the giant's face in into the exposed turnbuckle. This is the Chekhov's gun of exposed turnbuckles. It, it's kind of like a bring a weapon into a match. It's going to be used against you most likely kind of deal. And here it is. Andre is desperately trying to stay on his feet. And he cannot as he is grabbing at the rope to keep him upright. But he cannot do it. And he is down. The crowd is fucking losing their mind. They're shocked by how quick this turn of events happened. Jake is on the attack kicking and punching. And Andre says fuck man. Andre with a backhand to the Jake's gut that just levels Jake probably right in the diaphragm and caught him and Andre uses the ropes to stand up Andre with a huge chop like I said they rule what happens chop to Jake's chest Jake flies out of the ring Big John Studd starts counting the 10 Andre as Jake tries to get in the ring Andre just throws his body weight knocking Jake off the apron I love that we catch Andre standing in the center of the ring all by himself trying to shake off the cobwebs and he seems to have done it Jake tries to enter again Andre looks over at Bobby gives him a a head shake of like okay walks up to jake two hands a hair andre headbutt jake his body withers to the mat and then falls to the ground big john stud in andre's face chastising him why i mean i guess you're not supposed to but a ref should not be interfering in in this sort of tiny bit of not even rule breaking just bending andre as stud is trying to yell at him has his hands on his hips once again he loves showing how casually he views other men because he is a giant and these are just mere mortals he's pretty much telling stud he's not even really yelling in his face he's saying i'll do what the fuck i want man hands on hips you can see he's getting a little aggravated with stud here what he doesn't see but we do bobby's trying to tell him about it is we see jake grab the snake john stud telling jake do not enter the ring as jake walks up the stairs andre punches john stud right in the back of the fucking head he's like you uh, this guy's trying to kill me with a snake you've been in my face fucking with me i'm gonna punch you in the back of the head I don't want this snake anywhere near me. Andre's obviously not thinking straight as this man is trying to fucking murder him. Maybe it wasn't the best thing to do in terms of the match, but I don't think Andre gives a shit about this match once he sees that snake. He's destroyed Jake for this entire match. Andre's pointing at the snake. Big John Stud rears up and gives a huge push to Andre that really pushes Andre back. Andre's on the defensive here. We get a big wide shot of Jake opening the snake. Andre and Stud yelling on the other side of the ring. Ted DiBiase comes running out. Really good shot to capture all this. Punches Jake in the back, grabs the snake sack, 
and runs down the aisle with the snake sack. Bobby's on the apron. Big John Studs goes up to him to give him the business. Andre starts choking Big John Studd. We get a Brian De Palma-esque split screen here as Jake captures the snake from DiBiase. He kicks his ass a little bit in the aisle. Jake unties the bag as he makes his way down to the ring while Andre ties his strap around Big John Studd's neck. Jake slides the snake right out of the bag into the ring. Andre sees this and gets the fuck out of there as fast as he could possibly move and he's moving pretty fast he is not happy to see that snake runs out of the ring right up the aisle you can see jake is feeling the effects he got his shit pushed in for like 10 minutes here andre gave him the business the only thing jake has to combat andre's size is andre's fear of snake and more importantly andre's fear of death Big John Studd doesn't like that he got that he got his ass kicked by Andre and disqualifies Andre. And the match is over. Jake the Snake wins by disqualification at WrestleMania. As we end the match, we get a couple great shots of the snake, of Jake's snake, and also Damien. <laughs> great way to end it with a great visual of uh, Jake. Really selling the, uh, the pain of the match, but uh, walking up the aisle triumphant with Damien on his shoulder. Like I said, this was kind of a joyless match. Everyone seemed really angry and Andre only seemed to be having fun a couple times in the match. It really is just an extended squash of Jake really taking a fucking beating and just pulling out, pulling, <laughs> pulling every trick out of the bag. And the trick out of the bag was a giant snake that almost killed this man. It's funny that the the idea of Andre being afraid of snakes is so silly. This is a man who lived on a farm his entire life in France. And then when he moved to America, he bought a farm in the, the South. I am sure he has encountered many snakes. It is a great story. How do you neutralize a man who's seemingly impossible to stop? You bring some crazy thing like that into the story and it make, it gives it almost a supernatural element because how else do you kill a giant i think it's funny that like because without andre is he is a giant he's a larger than life he should not be wasting his time on a jake the snake roberts and maybe that's why he's pissed jake is below him like he's been dealing with hogan for years and now he's got this feud with this guy who's just fucking with him this is a roadblock his obsession with hogan might have derailed his career i've talked about this before and sometimes i worry maybe bobby was the one steering him that way maybe bobby doesn't love him as much as he loves bobby or maybe he does and then things change when bobby doesn't get what he wants because andre does get involved in some of these feuds that detract from his annihilation of hogan hulk hogan's on this card fighting for the world championship bobby's other guy rick rude is is fighting for the intercontinental championship and andre is stuck in this feud with jake the snake roberts so it's kind of beneath him and you could tell it's beneath him because he kicked the fucking shit out of jake roberts jake roberts no one has a chance against andre so andre's record at wrestlemania goes to 2-2 and 1 after this one and uh his next one which will be his last one uh might not uh improve that record very much like saying anyone but hogan isn't really on andre's level to me, like, it really does go back to an idea of saying he's a giant. How, like, Greek, in Greek mythology, giants were the most feared of all the creatures. And they, like, they had a battle with the gods on Mount Olympus. But the giants didn't like the gods, and the gods didn't like the giants. It was always the two battles of the titans, right? And I guess Andre most closely would be Alcyoness, who, I don't know if he was necessarily the tallest of the giants, but he was immortal. But he could only be immortal if he stayed in his land of giants. And at some point in, in Greek history, Greek mythology, uh, Hercules uh, hits him with an arrow and then drags Alcyonus out of the, uh, the giant land, and that's where he dies. So, I mean, obviously Hogan is Hercules, you know? And Hogan, in, in wrestling, maybe Hogan has wounded the giant, but he hasn't completely dragged him out of the realm of the WWF and killed him completely. But he is 
wounded. Andre is wounded. He is injured. He is aimless after this battle with uh, Hercules or Heracles, however you want to pronounce it. But if you ever want to look, read about Alcyonus, it's great. He's he's pretty much the he was he's buried underneath Mount Vesuvius and he breathes fires out of out of the, out of, the, out of there. Anyway, like this is how you have to look at Andre. He is a mythical creature, but he's one without a purpose right now. And as a big fan of his, it's tough to see him struggle through these matches with mere mortals like Jake the Snake Roberts. This was a really fun match to just watch Andre destroy Jake and Jake get a little bit of hope and the snake constantly being there as this uh, Achilles heel and Andre's uh, armor. Just a fun match. I had a blast watching it and uh, I think you will too. My name is Rocco Martone of the band Chained to the Dead and I say check it out. The band and the match. Right now we're going to go to another colleague, Sean Mooney. And where is he? He's up in the cheap seats in the balcony. I witnessed this wild melee between Andre the Giant and Jake the Snake Roberts up here in the uh, Bob Euchre seats. And what do you think of this matchup hey, here? Hey, Jake, what you the think best, of this Jake. Matchup? He's the best. Jake's the best. Jake's the best. Hey, I guess he's going to say it all. As you can see, not a bad seat in the house. Back to you, Gorilla. <laughs> you got to have some binoculars from up there. We're going to go to another one of our colleagues in a few moments here as we go to Tony Schiavone who's in the locker room with a former woman's champion, Sensational Sherry. Jake, 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 that's right. But before we get to Jake, let's hear what the beautiful Sensational Sherry has to say. Okay, my guest at this time, Sensational Sherry. You have got that right, Sensational. Unlike some other woman we saw singing, America the Beautiful earlier today, <laughs> world champion, Rockin' Robin, Let's face it, she can't sing any better than she can wrestle. And as soon as I'm ready, I'll take the title back from you, Robert. There's one other lady I'd like to talk about today, Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> they say she's beautiful. Look at this. This is too hot and vicious. Is it a shame, Miss Elizabeth, that your mega powers are going to explode today? <laughs> Boy, talk about devious people. She's one of them. Hello, Cronoso listeners. Jumbled Jake here as we continue through WrestleMania 5. I have drawn, uh, by my own choice, to discuss Rhythm and Blues versus the Heart Foundation, um, which comes um, at about the 2 hour and 20 minute mark in this card. Rhythm of Blues, of course, is Jim. No, it's not Jim the Anvil Nightheart. He's in the Hart Foundation, which is the other team, of course, Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. You probably know them. Rhythm Blues is, um, that will be the Honky Tonk Man and his partner, Greg, the Anvil Valentine. So, we, wait, fuck, hold on. I'm conflating, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. Greg the Hammer, not the Anvil. I'm going to leave this in because... I'm getting confused on both these men named after um, tools that a blacksmith would use, a hammer and an anvil. So that's why I'm getting confused. But Greg, not the anvil, the hammer Valentine. But anyway, this is letting you see how the saucers are made. We're we're live, pal. But anyway, so they're going to be facing the Heart Foundation. Um, Not called Rhythm and Blues yet. They're just uh, Greg Valentine and Honky Tonk Man as a team with Jimmy Hart. Um, No real gimmick yet. None of the uh, glorious entrants uh, or anything like that. 
Uh, they have a very nonchalant entrance with uh, no real fanfare. The hearts come out. They get a heart foundation. Uh, they come out. They get a decent reaction here. This is a notoriously dead crowd, uh, as most would cover. I'm sure covering this throughout uh, this podcast, series of podcasts that are strung together like a podcast centipede. Um, we'll probably tell you about it. But anyway, um, Hammer looks like a... Um, he looks like a father who uh, drank a bottle of Crown Royal on Christmas Eve. And now he has to wake up and uh, do presents with his kids. So that's what Hammer looks like here. Just very workmanlike coming down the aisle. And this is a very workmanlike match. Uh, of course, Brett is the glue of this. Um, I would love to hear. I tried to see if there was a passage from his book, but I couldn't find anything. I don't have the book on hand. But this seems like it would be a perfect uh, match for Brett to... Uh, to extol his um, his great wrestling prowess because he really is the glue of this match. He he carries the offense. He also carries the selling as he sells for um, R and B throughout most of this match. He um, yeah, he's pretty much the glue. All Hammer does is come in and get the hot tag. It's a very formula tag match, just pretty by the book. But Brett kind of elevates it, I think, into something that could kind of suck into something that's pretty decent. Just by, you know, being Bret Hart and making sure this is not totally terrible. Um, Honky Tonk Man, on the other hand, he is pretty sucky in this. Uh, his kicks at one point are just absolutely weak, terrible, soft-looking kicks. Um, hammer's hammer. He's okay. There's no storyline really going on here. Like I said, Rhythm and Blues don't really have a gimmick. It's one of these, like, classic WrestleMania get-the-guys-on-the-show matches. Um, and that's exactly what you get here. It's just like a seven-minute formula tag match. Um, you got Jimmy out there screaming on the on the megaphone. He's got his piano jacket. That's pretty swank. But uh, your finish is is that uh, Brett ends up giving Jimmy's megaphone and ends up clocking. Um, I believe he clocks Valentine. Can't say I remember. He clocks one of them with it. Gets the pin. It gets kind of a mild pop from the crowd, and that's the most crowd reaction you get throughout this entire match. But there's not a whole lot else to say about this one because it's just, there's not a lot to it. It's not really based on a big feud. It's just kind of like, I guess, the, if you want to go for the lore, it's the beginning of Rhythm and Blues for the most part. Um, and uh, you get the hearts on here. So, yeah, Brett's great in it. I'm sure he would tell you he's great in it. But otherwise, honestly, pretty pretty skippable. But a perfectly cromulent match to have on this card. And that's all I really have to say about it. So, um, yeah, if you want to hear me more, check out the uh Check out the North-South Connection. No, check out the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast here on the North-South Connection. And you can hear me um, talking about that era of wrestling. So, thanks for listening. North-South Connection. This is Steve Riddle back again for another go-around here as we are continuing with our trek here through WrestleMania 5. Of course, it is uh, April April 2nd, I believe. April 2nd, yes, April 2nd, 1989, from the Trump Plaza Hotel and his casino in Atlantic City. And so far, we've had quite the show. Uh, it's been a bit, of, a bit of a long one, but we've had some uh, some interesting moments to this point. And now we are getting to uh, the match I'm going to talk about, which is probably beside the uh, the main event of the Mega Powers exploding, is the um, easily the second biggest match on the card here. And that is for the Intercontinental Championship. As champion, the Ultimate Warrior defends against the number one ranked contender, Ravishing Rick Rude. Of course, this feud has been going on pretty much since the start of the year. Um, we, of course, talked about back at the Royal Rumble what happened between these two with the pose down. Um, of course, Rude had attacked Warrior with that uh, that bow worker and choked him out. 
And they kind of didn't really interact too much else after this. Um, kind of, you know, just cutting promos on each other back and forth. Um, going into this match here. And going in, you figure that um, it was going to be just another easy defense for Warrior. He had been on such a roll, even though Rude had, um, had really gained some steam over the last year. Thanks to his feud with Jake the Snake. Excuse me, it seemed kind of unlikely that uh, that Rude was going to win the title here. Of course, um, Jesse thought that uh, Rude could pull the upset here because uh, Rude's his guy. Um but, but you figured these two were going to have some um, – you figured these two would have some pretty good chemistry um, in terms of the uh, of a match here. So um, as I've been doing, I am going to, of course, live watch this. If you are watching along with me on Peacock, we are about uh, 2 minutes 45 uh, – let me start again. 2 hours 45 minutes and 10 seconds into the show. Um, Warriors are starting to uh, make his way down to the ring. Um, so we will go ahead and get started in 3, 2, 1, play. Talk about a, uh, you know, how, what a um, year, a difference a year makes. You know, last year, Rude was in the uh, 15 minute draw with uh, Jake um, in the tournament, and Warrior had that kind of uh, innocuous match with uh, Hercules. Um, not too much here, of course. <laughs> Jesse always, you know, calling Warrior a lunatic. Um, of course, Warrior had been on a roll as champion since winning the title from the Hockey Talk Man back at SummerSlam, and he was also still undefeated at this point. So, uh, so again, it seemed like he uh, had. And now here we go, Root. And, oh, Root! <laughs> Root trying to catch Warrior with a knee, uh, but Warrior still had the belt on, and Root just hurt himself. So right off the bat, not too good. By the way, you notice though the tights uh, Root has on. Uh, he has the uh, the title on the front and the uh, Warrior on the back. Um, this Warrior now pounding the way on Root's back, and Root already in a lot of pain. Warrior just shoving Root right into the corner, second time now. And maybe a third time, yes, third time into the corner, and Rude is already right behind the eight ball. Um, Warrior in full control here. Of course, uh, Rude, before Warrior came out, did his usual uh, shtick there, calling the uh, crowd Atlantic City Sweathogs, and hard Irish whip into the corner. Rude almost lost his balance there, and uh, and immediately uh, Warrior in full control here, now sending Rude back hard into the other corner. It has been all Warrior to this point. Gorilla saying how he's never seen anyone get thrown in the corner that hard. And again, for a third time, uh, Rude, hard in the corner. Of course, uh, Jesse calling out words like, he better not do any posing. He better uh, get on it. And now he, now Warrior with a bear hug on Rude. And after, uh, you know, sending Rude into the corners all those times, Rude's back is clearly going to be in a lot of pain. And this is the perfect hole for uh, for Warrior to um, to apply here. As he's trying to get Rude to uh, to submit here and get out of here with a very very quick win, because <laughs> there's a, a a good shot there of the uh, of the warrior on the back of uh, of Rude's tights there, and Rude. It looks like he's uh, going going out here. Of course, Jesse again saying that he called uh, he called this match as his upset special of Rude of Rude defeating Warrior. And of course, Gorilla reminded him, "Well, you also said the powers of pain of Mr. Fuji would win the tag titles, and that didn't happen." So, Jesse not off to a good start here. And uh, Rude, the the arm almost came down three times, and he escapes by poking Warrior in the eyes, and that'll stop anyone. Now, Rude up on top, and a missile drop kick. By Rude to Warrior, and now going for the pin, but Warrior quickly blows out. Didn't even get to the one. And Warrior immediately back on his feet. And a big slam there by Warrior. Rude is definitely uh, completely behind the eight ball. 
Had that one shot there with the missile drop kick, but it didn't work. And now Warrior with a second slam. Warrior starting to uh, get the crowd behind it. He looks like he might be uh, like he might be trying to go for the bear hug again, and he does. Warrior definitely, and, and now we see uh, Bobby there going to his pocket. Looked like he uh, was sure he was going for something there. Guerrero <laughs> was like, "Oh, is there a coke machine go close by? Is he looking for some change?" Warrior continuing now to uh, to grind down here on Rude, uh, and and again Rude looking for to uh, poke Warrior in the eyes, but this time the referee stopping him. Of course, that was uh, of course uh, the referee here, Joey Morella. So of course Jesse Amelia getting on his case. Um, of course, he's still thinking back to um, to Mania three with Hogan and Andre. And again, Warrior uh, Rude tried to poke the eyes, but again uh, Morella blocks it. But this time Rude is able to um, to bite Warrior in the face. That gets him free, but again, Warrior looks like he's still in control, and now Warrior returning the favor, biting Rude in the face. Irish rip off the ropes, and a big-time backdrop by Warrior. Rude is in all cores of trouble. Now Warrior may be looking for the uh, for the coup de grace here, going for the big splash, but Rude gets the knees up just in time, saving himself there. Otherwise, that would have been over. And it would have been a successful title defense for Rude here, as we see, uh, as we see in the front row there. Of course, the uh, the man that the building, of course, named for the one uh, Donald Trump. Uh, about 28 years before he would become president, he was still, um, a, you know, real estate mogul. Of course, in uh, Atlantic City and in New York, and of course, it looks like some other uh, kind of big wigs there in the front row there with some uh, with their suit and ties. Warrior and uh, Rude now with a couple of a kicks, and now looking like he's going for a pile driver, and he hits it. Spiking Warrior into the mat with that move, but he's still in so much pain he can't get the cover. And then now, now he's got it. There's one, two. Oh, Warrior still kicked down. Not as much authority that time as the last time, but but definitely uh, still got something left here. But Rude now backing. But Rude now looks to be uh, in full control here. Now, Jawbreaker. And and Rube, Rube looking for the swivel, but he couldn't. But his back in too much pain that he can't uh, that he can't complete it. This might be, I think, the most uh, trouble that Warrior has been in uh, to this point. I mean, he's you know had some big matches, but nothing to this point. Now Irish Whip and now Rube with a clothesline, knocking Warrior down. Kind of a little sloppy there. Now again going for the pen, but Warrior again kicking out. Rude can't believe it. You thought he had him there on that on that uh, that clothesline, but Rude able to uh, our warrior able to uh, to get out of it. Rude now sizing warrior up, contemplating his next move here. Now looking for a Russian leg sweep, going for another cover, another two, and again warrior kicking out. Now Bobby freaking out, thinking that that was three, as Rude is now trying to uh, empty the arsenal here, and. Uh, and now with a uh, with submission here, holding the arms back, stretching out the uh, stretching out the chest of Warrior as, uh, as Warrior trying to get something uh, going here to get some momentum back. Uh, he had everything under control, but Rude after uh, blocking that splash, um, it's been all Rude to this point. And Warrior now crawling on his way to the uh, to the ropes, trying to get there, and he does. And now shaking the ropes like he tends to do when he gets uh, fired up here, as Roy as Rude's still hanging on, and then Rude now has uh, lost his grip, and Warrior shoving Rude off off of them, duck underneath off the ropes, big flying tackle by Royer, and Warrior back in control. Warrior starting to get uh, fired up. He thinks he's got everything in hand, driving Rude's face right into the mat. 
and again slamming Root's head into the mat. Jesse says he feels so bad for Bobby, thinking he's not going to uh, Bobby's, because this this point Bobby still has no champions. Um, of course, the closest he had come was, uh, of course, Andre at uh, WrestleMania three. That did not happen. And oh, geez. Warrior Warrior hit a backbreaker. You're trying to pick Root back up, but they lost their balance, falling into the ropes, and now Warrior with a clothesline, knocking down Root. Warrior now sending Root hard into the corner. And really, I mean, this match has been predominantly all Warrior. I mean, Root's had a couple of spurts here and there, but for the most part, Warrior has you know, dominated him with another tackle sending Root into the corner and another whip into the other corner. But this time, Root's able to avoid the charge, and Warrior hits the buckle hard. And Root now trying to get something going here. Now he's got him, and now he's looking. He's going for the Root Awakening. This might be the end here. Rude trying to hook it, but Warrior, Warrior powering out of a hold, which I don't think has ever been done before to that point, and Warrior with a clothesline. Rude now trying to roll outside, trying to get some uh, distance here, and Warrior merely going after him. So Rude went for his big move, but Warrior again just too powerful, able to uh, to get out of it, and now Warrior throwing Rude back into the ring, and again back in full control is Warrior. And this might be uh might soon be curtains here for Rude as Warrior charges and a big clothesline sending Rude over the top. Rude laying on the, laying very hard on the apron. Bobby and uh, Bobby looking on now. Warrior looking like he's going to uh, go for a suplex back into the ring, but Bobby tripping Warrior up. Rude falling on top. Bobby holding on to the leg of Warrior. We got the three. Wow, just like that, Ravishing Rick Rude is your new Intercontinental Champion, ending the Ultimate Warrior's reign as champion, and also ending the Warrior's undefeated streak. And Jesse, of course, is absolutely ecstatic. He called it, and he called it. Of course, uh, Warrior had cha Warrior chasing uh, Bobby into the ring. Rude getting the hell out of there. He doesn't care about Bobby anymore. He's like, I got my butt. I'm out of here. And Warrior now is going to let Bobby have it here. And now Warrior pressing Bobby up over him, looking for the gorilla press. And just, oh, just dropping Bobby right on his back. And now Warrior, uh, Warrior heading to the, running off to the back as Bobby is, uh, is having to recover here. So, so a huge upset here at WrestleMania 5. Rick Rude is your new Intercontinental Champion, defeating the Ultimate Warrior. Of course, as we know, this feud would continue going on to the summer as uh, Warrior now going to uh, go on the chase of Rude here as we now get the uh, get the replay here. Of course, again, Warrior going for the suplex back in the ring, but Bobby tripping him up. Rude falls on top, and then Bobby holding on so desperately to the foot, trying to keep him down, and he's able to do so. Of course, he uh, paid a big price for it afterwards. And of course, as we know, Bobby has a match later this evening um, against the Red Roosters, so it's not going to. So that doesn't uh, bode well for him um, going forward here, um, as we as we come here. So again, that will um, that will do it here for um, for me for Kurno. So like I said, uh, this feud with uh, Warrior and Rude going to continue through the summer, and we'll see how that uh, plays out as we get to the next time they will face, which of course will be at SummerSlam. But we still have plenty more to go here with uh, here with WrestleMania. We of course have, uh, I believe we have three matches left. Uh, yes, we do have three matches left. Of course, as we know, we still have the Mega Powers exploding. Hogan and uh, Savage for the world title. 
as I'm sure that is going to be uh, quite the highlight here. Um, but with that said, I will go ahead and wrap it up here. Uh, you can find me um, on all the other um, different quads of pods in the pop experience over on the wrestling feed and occasionally over here with the, uh, with everything else. And speaking of the WrestleMania, of course, uh, uh, Ryan and JT are ranking every single WrestleMania match in history in short form on YouTube and on TikTok. So please be sure to follow them. Those guys are doing a hell of a job with this. Um, so give them some love here. But with that, I will go ahead and say thank you again for joining me. Uh, I am Steve Riddle. I will be back again next time uh, for the next uh, for the next episode here. But for now, let us continue on with uh, WrestleMania 5 here on Cronoso. Hi there, Cronoso listeners. Mark Poirier back here again to review a classic confrontation between Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Bad News Brown from WrestleMania 5, April 2nd, 1989, from the Trump Plaza in Atlantic City, New Jersey. When I was tasked to review this match, I thought to myself, why the hell did this match even happen at WrestleMania 5? With some extensive research, I've come to find out that the match was randomly thrown out there on an update by Mean Gene Orkelin on the February 25th edition of Superstars. Outside of inset promos during their opponents' matches, I found two angles that were presented to the audience. On the March 11th Superstars, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was a guest on the Brother Love Show. He cut a typical Jim Duggan promo. Tough guy. Nothing that really made me care about this match at all. The next day on Wrestling Challenge, Bad News was in the middle of a squash match when Hacksaw came down to ringside. He just walked around, played up to the crowd, hoeing and whatnot. While Duggan is doing all this stupid crap at ringside, Bad News just went about his business and beat down his opponent. I guess Duggan got tired or was annoyed that Bad News was not paying attention to him, so he just left. He just walked to the back. For those keeping track at home, Bad News hit the ghetto blaster and got the win. And that was it. That is the entire build to this match for WrestleMania Five. In any event, it is on to this barn burner of a classic. This match took place just after the Intercontinental title match, which in my opinion was awesome. This bout was the opposite of awesome. Duggan is pearl harbored by Brown as he enters the ring. Brown hammers away at Duggan with repeated right hands until an ill-fated Irish whip into the turnbuckles is reversed, sending bad news into them. Duggan does the same to bad news, but there's no reversal this time, and he delivers a clothesline to bad news as he comes out of the corner. Brown gets out of dodge for a moment as he bails to the outside. As he gets back on the apron, Hacksaw slingshots him back into the ring. Brown turns around for a second, but he starts to work on, as Jesse Ventura points out, the toughest part of that idiot's body, his head. Duggan fires up his comeback. That goes wrong as they both kind of hit each other at the same time. And time just sort of stands still for a moment, and they just trade sloppy blows to each other. After a headbutt, they go to the floor. Bad News posts Duggan out there. They go back into the ring as Bad News hits the ropes to deliver a ghetto blaster, but it is to no avail as Hacksaw ducks. Hacksaw hits his patented running clothesline that Brown kind of really no-sells, and he just rolls out to the floor. He walks to ringside and he grabs a chair and brings it into the ring. So, to defend himself, Hacksaw grabs his 2x4, and they start swinging their weapons at each other. At 3.49 of the match, referee Tim White calls for the bell as these maniacs continue trying to kill each other. Duggan then catches Brown with an atomic drop, and Bad News lands on the 2x4 on the mat and somehow does not break his ankle. Hacksaw then grabs the board and nails Bad News with it, who takes off. 
This match is ruled a double disqualification, as Jesse points out the snot coming out of Duggan's nose. Gorilla says that this was exciting. To quote Gorilla himself, highly unlikely. Well, this match was poop, and out of five stars, it was an absolute dud. Well, we did it. We made it through that. Thanks for listening or skipping to this part to get to the next segment. I'm Mark Poirier, and I have nothing to plug. Certainly was exciting, and right now we're going to go to Mean Gene Oakland, who was with the Red Rooster getting ready for Heenan. Just moments from now, Bobby the Brain Heenan is going to be facing the Red Rooster, Bobby Heenan, the manager of many superstars. And at one time, he managed you, Red Rooster. The challenge is up. He has accepted. And this yes. afternoon, it's a classic case of the student meeting the teacher. That's right. I am going to meet the teacher, and I'm going to teach him something he never taught me, and that's how to lose. Bobby the Weasel Heenan, you said I was limited. I showed you I wasn't limited. I'm fixing to show everybody today in just a few short minutes. I can't wait. You accepted the challenge, and I'm going to take the best of a good opportunity. The Red Rooster's great. Can't wait to get his rooster claws into that weasel hide. I'm going to take out all this frustration. I am going to take care of business. When I'm done with you, weasel, there'll be nothing left. It'll be a great day in the barnyard, and everybody will be going, all right, the waiting is over for the Red Rooster. He's on his way to meet Bobby the Brain Heenan. Right now, let's go back to the arena. What's going on, North-South Connection? Mike Eller here uh, giving you a rundown to one of the greatest and most memorable feuds of 88 going into 89 and one of the greatest feuds ever. Bobby Heenan versus the Red Rooster. uh, You recently heard the Roosters interview with me, Gene, so I am here to give you like a rundown of what's going on for this match. Uh, We, you know, I was obviously, I hope everyone knows I was being facetious. This is some really bad stuff, but you know, sometimes bad stuff is really fun. So uh, we get Heenan coming out. Heenan is with uh, the Brooklyn Brawler who... The Rooster wrestled uh, most previously at a Saturday night's main event. Uh, Gorilla notes how time will tell how badly um, Heenan's hurt after his run-in with the Ultimate Warrior. So I wonder if they like just know that the Red Rooster's so bad that they're even protecting Heenan here. That, you know, blaming a possible loss uh, because he got hurt earlier in the night, even though he's a manager. So, uh, but I guess a good connection here. Um, <clears throat> Gorilla's not happy that the brawler's with him. He even says that he's worried that Heenan's going to have the brawler wrestle to wrestle the Red Rooster. Um, even though Rooster, like I said, he already beat the Brooklyn Brawler earlier. Um, Rooster makes his way to the ring as well. Not much going there. Uh, he does his Rooster poses and... You know, it doesn't get much of a reaction. I think everybody's waiting for Hulk and Savage right now. Um, do love Heenan, you know, sporting the Andre the Giant tights. I think that's a nice look. And we get to the match. There's not, again, there's not too much to go over. Heenan, it's funny. He's trying to hide in the corner, but he can't. It's funny that he's trying to hide in the corner, but, like, there's nothing. He's just, he's still in the ring. So it's like there's nothing that's really protecting him. But it, it's a good cowardly look, and... You know, Bobby's such a pro. Uh, doesn't Rooster, thankfully, doesn't fall for it. He smashes Heenan's head in the corner. And then he whips him into the other corner. Um, 
He didn't actually get... When Rooster tries to send him into the corner again, Heenan actually reverses it, but then Rooster grabs Heenan, smashes his head into the post, and uh, he rolls him up. And the Red Rooster is the winner of this feud. But wait. Immediately uh, after Rooster wins, he's beaten up by the Brooklyn Brawler. This allows Heenan to walk away, and he's selling a little bit, but he's kind of just kind of walking away walking away on his own, and uh, the brawler follows him out, and then the rooster gets up, and he does some more rooster things, and it's just terrible, and I've enjoyed covering the last two of these, just because it's like a little, it's such a nothing feud that I get to kind of review, but yeah, this was really bad, uh, Heenan did everything he could here, or as much as he possibly could, but the character was death. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to really do anything more with this feud going forward, or hopefully not too much. But yeah, that is the end of this match. We're going to get some more stuff as we head into the end of WrestleMania Five. Thank you very much for listening to my part. You can find me on the Cronoso Monthly, and I also pop up on various preview lists or countdowns that Ryan Gray does for the North-South Connection YouTube channel. So please definitely check those out too. And we'll talk to you again. And again, thank you very much for listening to me. Well, right now, folks, it's coming down. We're getting very close. So let's go back to Mean Gene, who is with Miss Elizabeth. All right. And our final interview of the night with Mean Gene is... Elizabeth and you know she mentions that she will be in the neutral corner she is supporting both men she hates that it came to this that these two you know people have to resolve this as they are you know it's a horrible thing when two wrestlers want to wrestle a match it's it's just too hard to say and she just is praying for no major injuries which yeah that's nice I guess Liz and then Yep, that's it for me and Gene. We throw it to Tony Schiavone. Miss Elizabeth, we are just minutes away from the big main event, the match where undoubtedly the mega powers will explode. This has got to be the most difficult time of your entire life. Unquestionably, Gene. Today I'll be in a neutral corner, and from there I will continue to support both men. It's unfortunate for everyone that these two men feel they have to resolve their differences in this way. I can only hope for one thing, Jean. I can only pray for one thing, and that's that neither man will be seriously injured. All right, there you have them. Comments from the First Lady of Wrestling, Miss Elizabeth. A few extras here as we set the tone before this epic main event. Well, I tell you, a very anxious moment from Miss Elizabeth. And you know, here in the dressing room today, we've had many anxious moments, but right now, all the wrestlers have vacated. They are heading to the arena because no one wants to miss the mega powers exploding. Let's go to the arena floor. Okay, I want to take a quick poll. We are minutes away from the World Wrestling Federation Championship match. Who's gonna win? I think what we have right here is a split decision, but I think you know the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan are not going to settle for a split decision. Let's get right to the action. Back to you, Jesse and Gorilla. Well, Sean, you in trouble, 
music is there. That's the music of the champion, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. This is the most exciting moment in sports right here, Gorilla. This is what we've all been waiting for. The mega powers will explode here in WrestleMania. Hey now, what is up, Canoso? We got the main event tonight, the main event. Uh, we got Hollywood Dave Rollins in the building, the 24-inch podcast guy. Yo. And something I've been wanting to do for a long time with my friend Mr. WrestleMania 5 down there. And the co-host of the never-canceled and never-dissolved Adams Division podcast. We just haven't done one in a while. You know what I mean? But it's our prerogative if we decide, you know, today, tomorrow, six years from now, or never to do another one. Uh, that that uh, that option's available for us. What's up, Peter? How you doing? It's it, it, it harkens back to an old joke I used to have with my friends where we uh, constantly pointed out that Chief Justice William Rehnquist is still not retired. So te- so technically he he he, di- he died. So one one of us will have to go for it to be dissolved <laughs> at, at that George, point. George George the Animal Steel has not been eliminated from the <laughs> WrestleMania 4 Battle Royal. Right? I mean he's still not in yet. So. Nor nor has Curtis Axel from the 2015 Royal Rumble, but but we don't care about that. Right. We, we we care about the 80s over here. I never understood right. that because it wasn't like couldn't took a bump. He did a big series with Valentine at the Garden after WrestleMania four. Maybe oh, yeah, was, George. Yeah, maybe he's just being a nut, right? I don't. Maybe his Crohn's is act, really acting up that day. Well, you know, I've been there. I've been there. I know. Yeah. So yeah, if anybody would know, it's you. a man's Crohn's disease, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, we're here for WrestleMania five tonight, uh, and I'm proud of this panel we got. We got the main event. The Mega Powers are finally exploding after everything that's happened a few months ago. Scott uh, Criscolo and I did the video about the uh, the tragedy in Milwaukee, uh, where we have a disagreement on the role of the uh, EMTs in the building that night. Uh, but we're past that now. The 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 match has been this match has huge business, by the way. Uh, this pay-per-view did huge business. This was their biggest WrestleMania for years, um, even in 1989 money. Uh, huge business here. Big night. Dave, let's start with you. Where were you on, I believe, April 1st, 1989, correct? They should have looked. April 2nd. Yeah. April 2nd. Okay, close April enough. Yep. April 2nd, 1989. Where were you on that Sunday? Uh, I was home at my parents' house. Had the family over, grandma, cousins, friends from school, the the whole nine, like always, for uh, house. Uncle Tito 5. in the building. Uncle Tito, of course, Aunt D, everybody, and uh, this is my first WrestleMania at my parents' house. Uh, we didn't have pay per view here in, in Carney before. Um, uh, Survivor Series '88, I think, was the first one. So I used to go to Anthony Pagano's dad's friend's house in um, South Jersey, more towards that what way. So you, this is my Pete? first WrestleMania here. What about you, Pete? Where were you this day? You remember? Oh, I, I watched this live on pay-per-view, and in fact, I still, somewhere in that room that I should probably take better care of uh, old VHS tapes, uh, I have I have the original copy with, uh, with where uh, Howard Finkel refers to the king as King Tonga, and <laughs> and then you have an uncomfortable silence on commentary there. <laughs> but this, this was the first WrestleMania that I saw live, because I, I got in watching just before wrestlemania 4 and then i begged my father for the 39.99 vhs of wrestlemania 4 and then eventually i think my parents caught on to the whole if we order this on the pay-per-view and just tape it that's 
either cheaper or the same price and it's easy entertainment for for peter to right. you know just watch for three hours or whatever on any given day and i, I and i watched this one you, you got into wrestling royal rumble 88 that's how big of a gfa fan i am that's how far back i go to the stetson commercials my man the the <laughs> the, the dino bravo bench press right right the first thing i ever watched and i still stuck with it i mean that that's some uh uh stick to but um yeah, this the show among the general public, I don't think gets a lot of love because a lot of people consider it a one match show. But what a what a one match and build that it is, though. Sure, sure. And our colleagues have, I guess, made the case for some of the other matches at this point. Myself, I had two plans going into the weekend. Uh, my first plan was I would go to my friend Don, one of the original the original co host of the Sportscasters, who's been my Lifelong friend. Our parents were friends. So we became friends at birth, basically. And uh, they had a cheater box. So they had this thing. It was like about this long. And it had these buttons you would press down. And every once in a while, it would get zapped. And then they'd have to take it somewhere and pay like 60 bucks. And the guy who knew how to cheat the cable company would rearrange it and give it back to them. And the plan was we'd watch WrestleMania 4 there. We had watched uh, the uh, SummerSlam 88 there. And the plan was to do WrestleMania 5 there. Well, Monday, my mother got a call from his mother that the box got zapped. But they were going to do their best to update it in time for WrestleMania 5, but that we should consider the possibility it wouldn't be available. So I said, well, can we get it here if they can't host it? My mother said no, because we would have to go to the cable company and get a different box than what we had at home to be able to access the pay-per-view channels. We had cable, but we only had like, I guess it was called basic cable then. We had like maybe 29 channels or something. Um, you could always tell how my parents were doing professionally based on our cable package. You know, the, the, the our best years as a family, we had HBO. You know, in our worst years, we just had the, uh, the coaxial cable and the first 29 channels or whatever. So I was like, no, it's going to be too hard to get the box and you got to take it back. And I was like, uh, we just had to okay. press. A, we just had to press a button here. We didn't even have to call or anything. It'd say event, enter, and it it would black out VH1 of all channels. Uh, that was channel oh. thirty four. Yeah, and it would black it would black out VH1, and it would turn all of a sudden. See the countdown come on, and the box would would say E some E thirty four E thirty four, and you press event, enter, and you got it. So I mean, like any kid could go sneak and do that. You know, what I mean, in order right. the pay per view, I guess, but. We got know. to that point, yeah. but still in '89, we were. You needed the you needed a, a level of box better than we had at the time. Uh, so my plan B was uh, to cry all day and uh, hope to break them down. You know, and uh, like I had nothing else. I had this box gets fixed, or I just got to go to work on my parents. You know, maybe call my dad, see at his house if maybe I can come there. I was I was up shit's creek. Luckily, it, it worked out. I went to Don's. They fixed the box, and we watched. It was oh, those the two WrestleManias I watched in his house were the Trump Plaza ones, you know. So in my life as a wrestling fan, I watched those two. Back they go, to back they go hand in hand. There. It's it's almost like uh like a movie yeah. sequel kind of, you know. And I got to watch it at the same oh. place. Obviously, then I was at six, and then seven I watched at my dad's friends and so on. But these two, four and five, I watched there. So uh. Obviously, we know where we stand, so let's go to Peter to start this one. 
where were you in terms of the explosion? Where did you end up? Were you pro Hogan? Were you pro Savage? Were you 70, 40, 50, 60? Where did you kind of fall getting ready for this match? I mean, I kind of was almost like a traditionalist fan as a kid where for the most part, I did exactly as the promoter would want me to do. I cheered for the baby faces and I, and I booed the heels and there, you know, very, very, very few exceptions. And it would took, it would take a few years before that would change. So here in the beginning of 89, Hogan is still an ultimate hero to me. He's got, he's got a movie coming out, which is going to be, it's revealed in this, in the middle of the pay-per-view and I'm so jacked for it that I go to the theater on the on the opening weekend. Same. And yep. So I was I was pro Hogan. Now as an adult, you you watch everything. It doesn't matter if it's pro wrestling, if it's the Karate Kid, it's any <laughs> television show that you watch. This good example. Kid, you what you watch it very very differently. It's like that whole. Well, Johnny Johnny was the good guy that like oh, people no. have tried to say, which 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 is no. it's just it's nonsensical. Okay, you could say shades of gray, but no, it's it's pretty pretty clear. And here, Sa- Savage, for the most part, was acting like a, a a crazy a crazy friend that you had to like cut out of your life, and he cut himself out of out of Hogan's life at that at that moment in that. Uh, what was it? The first aid, the first aid first room, room with the right. with that bearded medic who who got more TV time <laughs> than, than like than like Coco Ware did in '89. That's good, Dave. Did you have any any? Did you feel bad? Did you were you right away? Just I know you love Hulk, and I know Hulk. You're at least ninety percent Hulk. But was there any part of you that still liked Savage? Were disappointed they exploded? Wanted no. to see it work out no. somehow, or no? You're just no. Once he but, was out. He was out. Well, I, 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 knew it was coming pretty much after. I'd say by Survivor Series, I, you know, you could tell like a hundred percent, even maybe even a little bit SummerSlam, maybe not, but uh, by Survivor Series, you could tell uh, this. This is going to be the main event of uh, WrestleMania. I was a a little advanced uh, for a you kid. Were my, sophisticated, yeah. my dad was yeah. my dad was a wrestling fan, still is. My uncle Tito was a wrestling fan. I sound like kindergarten cop. My whole family was a cop, right? But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I was kind of dialed in, and we even had like the Slammer and the Daily News. It was kind of like I guess he got Melser stuff and that kind of thing, and it'd be an article every Friday out uh, here in the New York area. So uh, yeah, I was kind of dialed in. But and you might I might be getting ahead of myself here. But, you know, we all knew Hogan was going to win. Like, why wouldn't he? You know what I mean? Kind of like the Sergeant Slaughter WrestleMania. But then this could go either way. Because when they run the ad for No Holds Barred before the movie, then my dad goes to me, oh, wait a minute. Now, maybe he's not going to win the belt. But you could look at this in two different ways. Vince wants him to have, be the Excuse me. They want him to be the champion at um, for the movie. Or sure. you look at it they as he's leaving to do more movies, you know, to you know be more involved with the promotions. Yeah, like the Savage keep the belt. So then I started uh, getting a little nervous right there while watching it. You were playing a game of baseball. I was not yet playing, my friend. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was not. That did not occur to me at eight going on to nine, anything like that. And I'm on the record here on various shows of saying I was never in on Savage. I never trusted Savage again. As a Steamboat fan, I'll say it again. 
I looked at him as a guy who tried to murder my favorite wrestler on Superstars in November of 1986. That was scary. It was was November 22nd, 1986. He wanted to have the second biggest assassination on November 22nd in U.S. history. He tried (laughs) to kill my guy. I couldn't understand why Steamboat would be on his team at Survivor Series 87. I didn't understand why Hulk wanted to be a part of anything he did. And I felt 100% justified when they exploded. I said, see, I, everyone at school, I told him, I see, I told you that guy was no good, was a jerk, was using Hulk, and he's going to get his at WrestleMania. And I was pumped for him to get his. Also, I will say this. I don't want to step on anyone's toes in, in earlier in the show, but I also did not like the Ultimate Warrior. He was the one baby face I did not like. We called him the ultimate idiot. I had the Hulk uh, wrestling buddy, and my brother had the warrior one, and I would beat the shit out of that warrior one my whole childhood. I dropped so many legs on that stupid warrior one, so I was pumped when rude. Me too. That, that was the only heel I rooted for the whole night. I want Bobby. Yeah, I, I want Bobby to get his belt. Like While the match was going on, I might have been rooting for warrior, but then once the finish came, I'm like, Bobby has a belt because deep down, you know, you really because of the way on prime time how he is, you hate him but you love him. I, I, I you could probably Peter could probably compare it to something. Oh, you know? nine, nine or ten year old me was very confused by Bobby Heaton. Yeah, point where I laugh at most of the stuff this guy says. Why do I? Why am I? Why am right. I supposed to hate him again? Yeah. But I but I just went ahead and did because he was he was going up against against my heroes and and yeah right. I mean from anybody who's listened to. Uh, podcast that I've done over the years. I, I I wasn't a warrior guy as a kid because I think it was like different di- different group of kids were into into Ultimate Warrior and right I, exactly and, and, yes. and I and I was into Hogan and um you know even even beyond Hogan Beefcake was probably my favorite which is why I got pissed at Savage when he cut his hair after after this show. Which kind of almost diverted his attention. Uh, scary, it, it could, scary. It, it, it could have, it, it, you know. I guess you needed more things for Savage to do because, as you mentioned before, Hulk Hogan was going to have to promote a movie, so that means he wasn't going to be, you know, working the Des Moines Civic Center right. against, against whoever, and uh, so you, you needed an alternate. Let's talk about the Elizabeth piece of this for a second. Going into the day, did you guys? Were you guys interested in the minutia of like what corner is she going to be in? You know, did you have an opinion on how she might react? I know personally, I'll start this time. I know I felt like in the end, her allegiance is to the macho man. And I almost wanted to tell Hulk, be careful. I think she's a sweet lady, but remember she's macho man's lady. So be careful there, Hulk. I wanted to tell him that, you know, I wanted to write him a, like when I, I, when Pavel Bure came to the odd at the, at the, at the odd back in the day, Dave, our hockey arena, the players would go through the hallway where you would normally be able to walk when they would go to the locker room. So they pull these, this fence across and pull this cover on it, but you could stand right up against the fence and the, the players would walk right by you, you know? Right. So one time when my favorite player came, Pavel Bure came, I wrote him a note, all these like scouting reports on different sabers like, you know, like I, I gave him like the Grant Ledger scouting report and handed it through the fence to like a trainer who walked by and asked him to give it to Burray. And then the next period I was in my seat watching the play thinking, oh, yeah, he read it. 
He definitely read it because look, he just tried to take Ledger's wife. I want to do that for Hulk. You know, I wanted to write him a letter. Don't fall into the trap. But what did you guys think about Elizabeth and where she stood and what you thought her role might be uh, at WrestleMania 5? Dave, you can start and we'll get to Pete. Sure. I absolutely hated it. I'd rather her with Savage. I, eight-year-old me wanted Hulk Hogan as just Hulk Hogan. I hated the bed. I agree with you with the EMT shit. I hated the bedside crying. I'm like, uh, I don't want to see my hero. Like, you know, this is mm. even as an eight year. Yeah, I was still eight. Wasn't nine yet. Even as an eight year old kid, it's just like this is a little cringe. But there was not the word cringe at the time. But this is a little cringy. I don't like this. But I did love the promo Hulk cut on superstars after that. That I don't want Elizabeth. I don't care about Elizabeth. That way, I want my WWF title back, Macho Man. I never lost it. So then, it, Elizabeth was just com- completely out of the equation. Uh, for me, and I'm happy that Earl sent her uh, in the, uh, to the back. Although I do love Elizabeth, but with, with Sa- peace, Savage. Rest in, rest in yeah. peace. Pete? The, the interesting thing about it, and I didn't really consider it until, until I was an adult, is that this is the second time they did an angle on pay-per-view just in 1989 where the manager is like, I'm not sure who I'm who I'm going to go with here because remember Bobby had the whole thing with Harley Race and Haku oh, yeah. at at the Royal Rumble. So now you 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 basically flip it and it's now this face manager Elizabeth and and as a kid I just I just assumed oh she'll she'll go with she'll go with Hulk since clearly uh, Randy is 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 mistreating her in some way. Of course I wasn't as sophisticated and. Uh, uh, maybe some psychological tactics that Savage used in his relationship <laughs> with her, and um, and then, and then when she decides to go into a, a neutral corner, uh, obviously that's uh, that gave ideas to the writers of Nine Hundred Two One Zero when they had Kelly Taylor choose her. I, <laughs> I I choose me. Elizabeth chose herself there, and then. I don't know. It, it all felt wishy-washy in the aftermath. There's a little bit of a rip-off, kind of like Mr. Perfect in the 92 SummerSlam with uh, Ultimate Warrior and, and Savage again. Uh, you know, he went, He went. Mr. Perfect was on neither side. So it was like Elizabeth was on either side. Just got thrown out. So big people, big, you know, uh, big Elizabeth fans were probably disappointed. What about their pre-match promos? Anything either you guys want to say about the things Hulk or Savage? And again, maybe some of our colleagues have touched on this, so we don't want to go too deep into it, but was there a moment or anything said by either guy that enhanced the match or got you guys more in, entrenched in the story going into the match? Pete, you could start this time. The if if memory serves, Savage, they only addressed him in terms of him being crazy in in his in right. his locker room, slamming the locker room door and stuff like that. Yeah, which, which fit perfectly with the persona that he had built up over the prior six or seven weeks. And also, one very notable thing about this match that's extremely noticeable is he has a staph infection in his arm on the on the elbow in which he drops the elbow, and that that thing is wrapped up like like crazy for that match. Um, shades shades of uh, a certain Steve Austin match uh, about uh, nine years later, but that uh, that was that was I guess one good way to hide it. Hogan kind of did his standard kind of the extended WrestleMania promo where he gets about gets about three minutes, just just lays it all out there, and um, you know just just kind of the just kind of the usual fare from him. Um, I don't 
I, it's not as memorable as the as the WrestleMania three or WrestleMania four promo, right. but four um, is the swimming. This yeah. is, uh, the swimming and, and Donald three, Trump and three. He did two of them, like uh, right. early like, with Vince and later. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah. So you know some some good stuff from him, and you know I I liked what we saw in the lead up with both these guys where they would do the what I always call the Rashomon promos where it's like, <laughs> well, that's not the way I saw it. And then, you know, Savage would play like, and he would stop the footage where like Hogan's got like his hand on her, on her ass, like trying to keep her up on Savage's shoulder. And like, look at that. Look at that. It's like, well, it's a video. And he, he literally did it for half a second. If you, if you let it roll, but if you just let it stay there, it looks like Hogan's uh, playing grab ass sure. with, with Elizabeth there. Yeah. I mean, anything to add there, Dave, on the promos and that? Um, well, like I said before, nothing really stands about stands out about the WrestleMania promo, but that promo they did on Superstars the week after the uh the, the NBC main event, he Hulk was really intense and he was pissed and he's like, I don't give a shit about no no women, no shit like that. I want my belt. I never lost it. And he was fired up. I think he was still even like in a, some kind of a medic room, maybe if I if I remember correctly. But yeah, that 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 got me pumped up. And there's actually a um. A uh, little personal story. Got, look, I always like to shoe in on these. Yeah. Well, um, there's a Easter video uh, of uh, from 1989 of Easter with my family. We have the VHS. I still have a working VHS, so maybe we get this up on the 24-inch podcast Facebook page for uh, Easter week. But um, I'm coloring Easter eggs and and cutting a promo on there's no chance that Hulk could lose his title and he's winning the title back and like making like a red and yellow egg and that kind of thing so yeah i was i was ready for him to get his job back yeah very confident so we start the match macho looks majestic i think coming into the ring you know beautiful robe looks like savage is supposed to look i the savage i i i want to see that's how he looks tonight you know hulk is in his traditional uh red and yellow looks great as well Pete, the uh, the Sabres music came, hulk's music came on sorry i cut you off hulk's music yeah. came on late you didn't get the guitar riff it kind of right. bothers me yeah, yeah. Well, there was one, one of the many audio visual yeah, screw yeah. on the show. Many, many bu- a buggy type of night. Uh, Rock and Robin. Uh, <laughs> the Sabres should have hired whoever taped uh, Savage's arm in 0506 when Jay McKee got his staff oh, infection yeah. before game seven. Maybe we'd have a cup in the city. Uh, but the match begins. Uh, and I think the guy, and we'll go around the horn here on the match itself. I think they put on a great show here. You know, I think it's structured really well where you can sort of look at the match before Elizabeth is sent to the back and then look at it after Elizabeth is sent to the back. You know, you can kind of break it down that way if you want. Um, and they, I think they tell a great story here. I think Hulk does a good job. Um, one of the first times we see him desperate to, to reclaim what is lost, you know, to get back what in his mind was stolen from him. By the twin twin Hepners and uh, by DiBiase and President Jack Tunney, you know, in '88, we see that desperation. I think it. <laughs> and Earl's well Earl's the ref of all that. people. And he's the ref. And I remember saying, I remember saying, I don't understand. Again, I had trust issues growing up. I remember saying, I don't understand why Hulk will get in the ring with these guys. They've already screwed him. How does he trust this referee? We weren't now, supposed how- to know it was him. But they still called him referee Dave Hepner, but you could. He's a little thinner. You could tell. You know, I mean, to uh, me, what to me, he's one of the twin. What's the difference which one he is? Right, right. You I know, like, I guess, you know, I, I don't trust this. You know what I mean? Like, but whatever. 
Uh, Dave, what about the match itself? What, what do you remember most about the story they told, the work they did? What about the match? Great match. They used a lot of spots from their old matches at Madison Square Garden from 86. The 85. Oh, 86. Yeah. 85, and, 85 and 86. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, where Elizabeth would get in front of him, where he's going to post him and all. But it's just a, a great, great match where, where Savage was our Mr. WrestleMania, right? Because I'm going to say Hulk and Andre, but that's just sentimental to me. But the majority will say Savage is the best match at WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 4, WrestleMania 5. Not six, WrestleMania seven, and seven, WrestleMania eight. Eight, sure. You could argue yeah. all those, probably. All those. Yeah. More than yeah. argue. More than argue. Yeah. 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 Uh, Excellent. Great just... match. Great, great match. And I like how they, they did the no holds barred commercial because it kind of threw me off. So it got me more into, oh, shit, maybe maybe Savage is going to retain. Maybe he's going to get himself DQ'd or, or, or get himself counted out like the honky-tonk man used to do to him, you know? What did you think, Pete? Well... It, it's it's kind of, it, it's an interesting match to me in that um, Savage almost works it kind of like it's a, a an old school Memphis match where he kind of plays the chicken s heel stalling uh, kind kind of stalling running around the ring uh, obviously the, the the putting Elizabeth in in front of him but he was doing uh, for lack of a better word some 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 high quality cheating. At, at, at certain at certain points like one one spot that i remember being like whoa was when elizabeth was standing in, this is right before she's ejected she's standing in front of the ring post hogan wants to run savage's shoulder in and eventually savage is like all right i'm gonna slip down the back here and i'm just gonna throw this guy into the ring post and the, the whole the whole match changes at that point i remember jesse get lets out a big whoa <laughs> and jesse in this match and I, I'm a, I'm a believer that commentary can definitely add and enhance matches. Is Jesse yeah. Jesse's stern advocacy for Savage uh, definitely adds something to to all all of like his matches during the during this time. But especially, I mean, in, in this match, he just goes completely over the top because Jesse it's his guy. Yeah, Macho's his guy. Yeah, I love it. Even even when Macho was a face, Jesse really didn't totally go against him. He'd be like in the middle a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. There were a few faces oh. that Jesse always showed respect for. Uh, Bret Hart was one, and uh, and and Savage was another. Savage and, um, yeah, Je Jesse just just going over the top because not only does his character as an announcer not like Hulk Hogan, this you know dominant personality, but in real life, as we all know, Jesse and Hulk did not see eye to eye on. Uh, on certain issues, uh, shall we say, and Jesse, right. Jesse probably just, you know, I, I guess you could say the commentators are playing a character as well. You don't really think of it that way, but Jesse, when they showed that trailer for No Holds Barred, he got himself, he, he got himself he so worked, so uh, worked yeah. up. He's like Hogan. When you lose this match, you can come out to Hollywood and be my limo driver, <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, oh, okay. So basically, he's he's giving the savage perspective for the booth, and 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 Gorilla is, is you know kind of doing the straight up you know pretty much pro pro Hogan uh, commentary. It um, does a good job, I think, as a foil to Jesse. Try to keep modest a little bit. Yeah, I always and, wondered this. Okay, finish your talk. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, the the, the match really gets going when Elizabeth gets gets yep. ejected there because it, it feels like you're entering an epic final stage at that point. 
Yeah. The uh, I always wondered because we know that Savage and Steamboat at WrestleMania three, the famous yellow notepad, right? And they had the match detailed and written out. I think in certain documentaries you've even seen pages, maybe of the notepad, or they've at least reenacted the idea of it. I always wondered what the process was on this day between Hulk and Randy and how they put this match together. I mean, I'm sure it looked the way it always was. I'm sure it was Savage's match to lead as the heel. And I'm sure they proceeded that way, yeah. but I always wondered. They, they were very, it, very good friends still. At that, yeah. At this time. I wonder very how much friends, of it yeah. was there. Was there a notebook? So, to, you know, for Steamboat or for Hogan and Savage, the way there was Steamboat Savage, I always wondered that. And the other thing I always wondered is because we've heard, not from Macho as much on this, but certainly from Lanny, rest in peace in his final days, that Savage was always chasing WrestleMania three, right? He felt like that match was his best and he's always chasing that. I wonder how close he felt like he got on this night. You know, I so, wonder what Savage's I wonder when they're sitting back in the room that night, having a beer or two or whatever, getting ready to move on to the next thing. I wonder what these two guys thought about the work they did. Yeah. Any Sh- should I say that those things? Yeah. yeah. I, Steamboat could be a, a bit more old school than Hogan. You know, he's been a wrestler for a longer time and uh, works a completely different style, obviously. And the whole factor that I don't think Steamboat and Savage, I don't think they disliked each other, but I don't think they were uh, friends either. Where Hogan and Savage would hang out with, you know, the wives would hang out and everything. And More at this, trust. At, at this time. So Hulk yeah. might just be like, okay, brother, you know, like, we'll do it your way. You want the notepad? You got the notepad. As long as I'm going over, right? <laughs> so. And, and I mean, if, if, if there is, and you know, cause, cause I mentioned how, you know, Savage was a little bit physically compromised in, in this match, but I mean, he, he did, he did all of his, he did all of his usual stuff. He, he, he dropped the big elbow, nearly, nearly gave Hogan a face full of staff, but, uh, <laughs> he, you know, it, nothing, it, nothing feels like it was lost because, because he, he was hurt in, in some way. I mean, uh, you know, we, we've seen other WrestleMania main events where where guys were clear, clearly hurt, like like you know Sean at Sean at fourteen, but um, you know, and I, Austin I, was in the hospital the night before one of the Rock matches, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, nineteen, yeah, nineteen, okay. yeah, yeah. Cool. He had a uh, drank too much Red Bull with Kevin Nash or something. It's a story, <laughs> something weird. I know Ross yeah. was at the hospital with him or whatever, but um, what where, where do you guys put this match in terms of the? Uh, the Hogan Mania matches, you know, like Andre's here, right? Because of what that represented and what that drew and what that meant for the business. I don't think you can get above that when you look at the big picture. I know it's negative six stars in Meltzer's world, but I think in the world that we like to live in, where we like to pick at the minutiae of this stuff, I think overall that one is here. But how? where do you put this one? You know, compared to you got Bundy, you got the tag match, you got the, you know, the uh, and one, you got the slaughter, you got Warrior. You know, like where does this fit in your hierarchy of Hogan championship matches from our era? And we even leave the Rock one out because that's oh, something different. I was you know, said that you know my I mean? mind. Yeah. So we're leaving yeah. out. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm interested Man's more in the Hogan uh, run in the '80s, the the golden era. You know, the series of matches he does from WrestleMania one to nine. At WrestleMania, we're putting Andre sort of at the top. And if you want to challenge that, that's fine too. 
But where do you find this match in that sort of in the pantheon of those Hogan made events? I'll go third, Andre one, Warrior second, and this one third. But WrestleMania one, I wasn't into wrestling yet, so I wasn't living all that hype. So, and that was a huge, huge deal. So it's almost it could be unfair that I'm putting that beneath this. But uh, I wasn't living it at the time, so and I was living this, so I'm gonna go uh, third after I could after Hogan Andre Hogan Warrior. If we're not counting Rock and the no, we're the, gonna that's a different McMahon thing. match is very very underrated WrestleMania, right. and that's a different too. thing too. Yeah. I'm talking about the red and yellow era, you know, the golden era as it's called. What about you, Pete? Uh, well, of course, of course, I, I I'm the one person in the world who stands up for Hogan versus Sid at, at WrestleMania eight yeah. as, as being yeah. okay. But but let's 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 talk about the tippy top here. I I put, I yeah. put the Warrior match at six at, at number four, and and as a, a clear number four where there's space between that and the top three. Number three because of the just impact and the epicness, for lack of a better term, of it is the tag match at one, which I think in, in retrospect, people are like, oh, it was just the first WrestleMania. No, it was a big-ass deal at the time. I mean, to the point where, you know, they had done a house show at MSG two weeks before, and they're like, no, we're going to bring everybody back two weeks later, and we, we are we are doing this right here, right now. Uh, so that that's number three. A little bit above that would be this match at WrestleMania five with Savage. And... And the the Andre thing has to be number one, just because. Yeah. I mean, although I do wonder if the Andre thing had taken place in Trump Plaza and the Savage thing took place in the Pontiac Silverdome, if that would be flipped, I right. don't know. The whole kids were shitting their pants with the Andre thing. I mean, at least my at my age, I was in first grade, and I was not happy. Yeah, <laughs> never more shit, did I. Scared I shitless. think that that could yeah. be the end, right? Uh, and I had uncles telling me it's in the paper that Hogan's going to uh, whatever that means. You know, I get, I was scared too. Yeah, I think that's a really smart list. And when I look back at him, like six is different for me because I was there and it made me cry. And also like I was so far away from the the ring that I was like collecting Jose Canseco's home run ball from the 89 <laughs> ALCS that he hit like into six decks up. Just like, don't t- thought- just don't turn around and look in those uh, windows behind you. At the yeah, side those door. are kind of over here to me. But okay. yeah, uh, I I had the worst seats. You know what I mean. So, and all I knew is Hulk lost, and I cried the whole way to the. It took like forty five minutes to get to walk to the car, and she had to go all the way around those ramps and the sky dome and get down. And so that one kind of feels low to me for those reasons. Um, and then to me, I think there's a big three, and I think the big three are what we've all said: the Andre match, the Savage match, and just the epicness, like you said, Pete. Of what I mean, Muhammad Ali was one of the uh, you know the guy that we chose to light the flame at the at the '96 Olympics was a part of this. You know what I mean? Huge New York celebrities like Wait, Billy Martin, Muhammad you know, Ali. The, besides Elvis Presley, is probably the biggest name in the world at the time, right? That one. I mean, it's yep. just unbelievable yeah. how big of a star he is, and and you see how all in he was too. You know, unfortunately, maybe too bad it wasn't a couple years earlier, and he could have been maybe in the ring the whole time, but still what he brought to it was great. I mean, he jumps up on that apron and I still shit my pants yes. to this day, you know, like, Oh my God, what Ali is going to ease up on the apron. Oh my God, what's going to happen. But I wish I, I could have lived that. Great, uh. Yeah. I think they did a great job here. I think WrestleMania got WrestleMania five. You could say it's one, one match. I would debate it's more than that, but you can say that I was a big tag team guy. There's a ton of great tag team matches this year. And hopefully Cronoso, 
hopefully we've done a good job um, sort of giving the case for that. And if we haven't, if you need more information on WrestleMania 5, let's say you need six hours or so of information on WrestleMania 5, make sure you go to Greetings from Allentown Live, scroll down about, what, a couple months, and you'll see the great work that Peter and Keithy did breaking down the show in two parts, filled with the obligatory Goodfellas references and all the rest, right? Sopranos. I can't remember if we did two or two or three parts, and uh, yeah, oh yeah, it might have been, it's like six or seven hours worth. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, if it, it, it felt so, it was so fun to like do that show, and I'm even like the little mat, the little matches underneath. I mean, uh, I think we broke it up into three. Yeah, I think we broke it up into three parts because I was like, uh, yeah, we we gotta we gotta devote the whole last part. I think it was to the to the Hogan Savage match because I don't want any Red Rooster stuff infecting this <laughs> this Mega Powers explode thing that we got going on here. Red Rooster's like Paula's all time least favorite. <laughs> like if you want if you want to like get tickled, listen to Paula just shit all over. The red rooster, seven year old girl, you know. Daddy, what happened? What happened to Ric Flair's hair? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, Dad, can I say sucks? That that guy sucks. What? <laughs> but whatever. Uh, Dave, any last words? 24 inch podcast. See David. Yeah. There. Let's, yeah. I want to give a plug for a 24 inch podcast. We got uh, the late great killer con coming up from the Boston Garden, September 12th. Yeah, uh, we're going to 1987. Grounds. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Boston Garden. Boston. Yeah. And um, I, the, the killer con was the first guy I ever saw wrestle Hulk Hogan hit right here in the Meadowlands on August 1st, 1987. Unfortunately, that was not televised. So we we'll do the, it's the same match. So we're we'll do the, we're going to do, um, uh, Killer Khan as a uh, honor to him and his life, uh, and um, yeah, big big time. Boston and if Garden. You scroll back if you scroll back on the video feed here, you can watch me on Making the Towns, the new the flagship, the new format, and I talk about being there for the setup for that match. When uh, at the I was, so I had just finished crying for forty five minutes over Steamo losing his title, got. A temporary reprise, and Mr. T showed up out of nowhere. He's a huge A-team guy. That was a big moment for me. And then finally Hulk comes out for the first time, and some weird-looking guy with Fuji spits all this green shit in his face. And I was convinced he was blind, and I cried for another 45 minutes. So hear all about that. I'm sure if you want to go back a couple videos or on the next 24-inch podcast. Peter, thanks for doing this with us. It's inspired me. I still have all my notes for whatever the hell it was we were going to do next um, before I probably got sick or whatever derailed it. Uh, but someday I still hold out. There will be, we're going to drop it in the middle of the night on a Tuesday sometime. Like I think, <laughs> I think Pearl Jam right now is about to release an album without mentioning when they're releasing it because they've already played it for people. The title is, so I think we'll have to do that style, Pete, just one day. No one will know, but you and I, and they'll just, I'll be, be up. A, it'll be a, uh, Adam's division pod there for people. Plus, you know, don't don't blame anything on your illness. Uh, everybody knows that I've been, uh, uh, let's say, super flaky for the last five five or so years. Plus, <laughs> uh, plus, I've been having problems with my TPS reports. Those are a bitch. Yeah. Oh, oh, always a problem for guys named Peter. But yeah, GF, GFA <laughs> GFA Live. Greetings from Allentown. Uh, me and Keithy are going through June of 1989 uh, as, as we record this right now. 
Uh, and uh, the thing I'm looking forward to is dipping back into the NWA or WCW, whatever you want to call it, 1989, because it's like a weird hybrid. And we're going to do Clash of the Champions 7, the, the greatest the greatest drunk show of all time on multiple levels because the whole crowd is drunk and i like to i like to have a few pops and uh and, and watch that show on a friday night that's, so for, Dave. that's for sure. good to me yeah. <laughs> a <laughs> few <just> <laughs> yeah. uh, and there is a chance there's some rumors there's a chance that at my urging i like i'm gonna, I'm gonna take credit for it when it happens that the gfa live guys might go back to a different year at some point one that i happen to enjoy um but you know, I won't spoil that for you. I'm just saying that keep listening, right? That's all. Right. We'll see what happens. All hey, right. Thanks. Thanks and hi to uh D'Amato who D'Amato who's conspicuous yes. by his absence tonight. Our guy D'Amato, yes. Yeah. God bless and Rock and Rock and Ryan. He probably had a concert or a comedy show or something. I mean, this guy I've been the envy of his event schedule for many years now. I mean, very few nights go by that he isn't at some venue in the tri-state area enjoying some concert or comedy show. Or something that I would love to be at. I actually uh, met so, up with I met up with him at, at the garden. Yeah, Molly right. Crew, right? No, um, oh. Brian Adams and Joe. Oh, Brian Jack. Adams. Yeah. Weren't you guys at the, the Chase Stadium or not Chase City Field? No, he he had something else to do that night. He he oh. went to Hershey instead. Okay. Oh. All right. Well, thanks to Ryan. Thanks to Justin Cardoso. Everyone. Thanks to everyone who's been a part of the show, which I'm sure is all things WrestleMania Five. They end up long, right? I mean, if there's anything consistent with WrestleMania Five, it's long. Whether it be the show itself, whether it be the greetings from Alan's oh, live uh, episode, whether it be this video, poor yeah. Ryan is probably somewhere waiting to hit stop on this thing. Uh, but <laughs> hey, get three got three eighties kids together and talk about the mega powers exploding, and you get forty minutes. That's just what it is. Wow, what an episode—a long one, but a good one. Thank you for making it this far here on Chronoso. WrestleMania Five was an epic event, and the twenty-one voices that contributed added to it so for now guys we will see you on the next one in two weeks or a month we shall see that is the mystery but for now see you later guys